Hello, I'm Eagle, Eagle Gardens, Eagle Gardens 1 on Instagram, and this is Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 203. Having an amazing guest for you tonight. Uh, you've seen him this week earlier on the EO show, but unfortunately enough, we're able to have him with us here tonight, Cascadian Grown. Hello, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing tell good, us... Uh, how you doing today and where we can find you first off? I'm sorry, my friend. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no. You're good, man. Just saying hi. Uh, find me on Instagram at Cascadian Grown. And the rest of it's still in the works. So if you're looking for me, that's that's where to go. I'm doing pretty good. How was your day? It's a, it's a good day today, man. Finally got some rain. Everything's all wet outside. We had a long dry spell, so it's good to finally see some rain again. Clear the air. Just got done watching a football game. Fortunately, we won. So it's a good day, man. It's a good day. Not exactly, but kind of where are you at, if you don't mind us sharing. I'm in, uh, I'm in the uh, northwest, uh, Washington State, on the maritime side. I don't really want to get more specific than that, but I'm in the wettest of the wet here. Yeah, you just struck my curiosity when you brought up the rain because I haven't seen it in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, six months on and then usually kind of rainy even through the summer. But this year we we would have had an Indian summer if it would have cranked up the heat, but it just got dry. Dry and then the odd thing about this year was the rain never or the, the wind never quit. It was windy all year. Usually the wind will die about June and not come back till September, but it just, it was windy the whole summer. That's, I had a lot of um, vegetables and herbs grown outside and was trying to figure out why they weren't growing so hot. You know, usually it's pretty um, fail safe, but it was, it turned out to be the wind was just drying everything out. Even the grass had a hard time. So it was kind of wild. It was a new one for me. So did you have plants outdoors this year? No, everything here is indoors. It's all indoor. I was, I was just wondering if uh, you know, in this outdoor in that windy, windy climate, if you ex noticed any like extra terpene profile or something from that constant uh, stress of the plant. I, I imagine you would. Um, yeah, because like you said, it's constant. You know, it's it's subtle, but every day, I imagine it would up the secondary metabolism even though you might get a a little loss in yield over something like that. But I wasn't fortunate enough to have something outside to find out um, how it would impact things compared to other years, you know, so I don't I don't really know. But um it was, have you, it was uh, been in that locale your have you been in that locale your whole life? I started off on the east side of the mountains. There's a there's a mountain range that goes right through the middle of the state, top to bottom. I started off on the east side, which is wine country, apple country, cherry country. And then when I was about 10, my little brother was born when I was nine. And then when he was six months old, he got RSV and he went into the hospital and ended up over here on the coast in Children's Hospital 
spent 13 days in ICU and uh, had a hole in one lung. The other lung was collapsed. He was on, you know, more more machines than I've ever seen anybody hooked up to. And the doctors came in one day and asked my mom if she wanted to sign the papers to let him go. And she signed the papers, they pulled the plug and he just didn't quit breathing. So we realized then that he's a, a bit of a miracle baby. And a couple weeks later, he got to come home and we were told if we got as much as a sneeze or a sniffle that he would he would die. He didn't have any immune system. So we spent the next two or three years sanitizing everything ridiculously and crossing our fingers every day. And hang on real quick. So then we realized that we wouldn't be able to go back to where we were and how we were living uh, because they, they, they thought it was the pesticides and the aerosol sprays. When I was that young, they used to uh, spray the apple orchards with a plane. The plane would just fly over the orchard and spray the orchard. And then the drift from that would would carry through the whole town, basically. And they thought it was those those chemicals that was causing the issue. So we we weren't able to go back home and basically got stuck in the city, which over the long term turned out to be a good thing because he ended up needing therapy. And before he was three, he was he was diagnosed with autism. So we ended up living fairly close to a bunch of services for him to help him, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, um, everything from teaching him how to package and swallow his food to holding a fork to oh, all kinds of things, teaching him how to talk. I mean, he was in a diaper with a bottle till he was five or six. Um, so it was, you know, it was pretty interesting. I was. I was pretty young at the time. His his dad, I got a younger brother that I'm talking about, and then I got a younger sister that's a year older than him. And their their dad is not my dad. He ended up walking out, so I turned into the man of the household. And um, ended up, you know, finding odd jobs at 12, 13, 14, you know, doing whatever I could, whatever people would let me to do. My mom was working, you know, three jobs. I was walking my my sister to school, picking her up after school. It was kind of a wild ride there for a few years, man. And um, we made it. Um, he's now some low twenties, early twenties. He's about six foot, three hundred pounds. So, job well done, you know. My mom finally retired. She's got a house and a car. So I, I had a big promise to myself when when all that happened that I wasn't gonna, you know, I wasn't gonna leave it up to my mom to do it alone. 
and I was going to see her in a house. I was going to see her with a car. I was going to see her retired. I was going to watch my sister graduate. I was going to watch my brother graduate. And um, just two years ago, I, I finally checked that off my list and finally got to the point where I could say, you know, I, I fulfilled my promise to myself. It wasn't a promise to anybody else. So um, it was a pretty big accomplishment for me. I, we finally made it, you know, not that we made it big or anything, but we made it back to as normal as I was hoping for. That's a so, pretty big accomplishment. Pretty big accomplishment in my book, Fred, for sure. Yeah, it was. It was a. Yeah. It was a ride, man. It was a ride. I can imagine. Kind of, I can only imagine. It's kind of you know. It, it sounds like, like your the, brother is a tough. Uh, is a fighter, man. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like he's an incredible fighter. It's something in the genetics because none of us have given up. We all had plenty of opportunities to throw in the towel and say we can't do this anymore. As a as a family, you know, we're we're all pretty close, the four of us. So it, it brought us together instead of tore us apart. And then uh, it wasn't until wasn't until they they graduated and my mom retired because I, I spent my late teens and most of my 20s being my brother's caregiver and my mom worked three jobs four jobs I was you know I was Mr. Mom I was cooking cleaning making sure he was safe um getting them off the bus, making sure my sister did her homework, you know, everything that comes with all that. Nothing, nothing any other parent doesn't do, but I'm just, you know, the older brother. And uh, it wasn't until they, they graduated and she retired that I could actually move on. And um, I, I actually didn't get to finish high school due to some other bogusness, but um, I went back, got my GED, got into community college, had some of that old anxiety from, from high school and not finishing, you know, I like to finish where I start. Um, that came back to haunt me, but I powered through it. Met my now girlfriend. We're getting ready to celebrate our fourth year anniversary here at community college. We both decided to go to the same university. So we did the whole university program together, graduated, uh, what, six months ago, maybe. And we're both, you know, bachelors of science in, in herbalism. So it wasn't until I made the one promise fulfilled that I got to go back and take care of myself. But um, I did that. I'm, I'm here now. I'm trying to get, get my feet wet in the real world and see what's next for me. Because it's, it's, you know, it's been a hell of a ride so far. Why give up now? I got to you got a, you got a high bar to keep up with here. I'm just reading the chat, man. It's nice for you guys to come hang out with me tonight. Appreciate it. I'd start shouting you guys out, but I'd have to shout out the whole chat. So, but yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a ride. Um, made it through herbalist school just for COVID to hit. So we didn't get to, I didn't get to walk for high school, didn't get to walk for college either. Um, 
Let's see, talk a little cannabis here. I got introduced to cannabis at about, what was that, about 13. Actually helped a friend, a couple of friends, score some before I ever smoked it. So um, I, I knew the right people were the wrong people, depending on how you look at it. And then uh wasn't about a, a year later that I um, found myself in a state park in a car down by the water, down by the uh, the boat launch. And up comes the blunt. So, you know, it gets lit. We're in the car. This is back in the days when it was fun to hotbox. Um, I don't really like, I don't really like blunts and tobacco much anymore, but uh, back then I was a fan. So we were in the car smoking. The uh, blunt ran out because they don't last forever. And I was in the passenger seat. And the state park I was in is, uh, is down a pretty steep hill. There's a pretty steep hill between the boat launch and where the uh, entrance to the park is. So we were at the bottom. Obviously, you're not going to find the boat launch at the top, but we were at the bottom and uh, we, you know, decided it's time to go. It's starting to get dark, got to get home, get ready for the next day. I was still a straight A student at the time, on a roll, all that jazz. And uh, we start going up the hill, get up the hill, up the top of the hill, and there's a park ranger with his car and a county sheriff with his car sit by the by the entrance to the park. So nothing like a couple of cops to get your, your adrenaline going. And past them, you know, no problem, no problem. They're just standing there talking. They didn't even pay us no mind, but first time smoking, you know, it's pretty intense. So I had a little freak out inside, but after we passed them and got on the road, Nope, weren't even on the road yet. We were at the stop sign. And I realized that my feet are pushed up against the floorboard in front of me on the car. And my butt's pushed into the seat. And I'm just clinging to the door. And I'm grabbing the bottom of the, the seat next to me. The seat that I'm sitting on, right, right next to me, right by the seatbelt seat belt holder where you click it in there. And um, I was so blazed that I didn't realize that the hill that we went up was a hill. I thought it was flat. And I looked to one of the other guys in the car and I said, why, why are those two cops? Why were those two cops standing so funny? Why were they standing at an angle? And I remember looking out the window and I, try, I was trying to figure out why the trees had all grew at an angle. And it wasn't until they pointed out to me that we just drove up a hill that I realized we drove up a hill. So it was a, it was a pretty wild ride. Um, totally blazed out of my mind. I get home 
I don't know. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody else in chat, but the first time your parents catch you high. First time my mom caught me high. She's a she's a pretty much a lifelong smoker. And uh I walk in the kitchen. I'm I must have reeked, man. I mean, there's there's no way I didn't. Your hot box and a blunt, you gotta smell like something. But I was so so high I didn't even didn't even realize. So I go walking into the kitchen through the, the sliding glass door through the kitchen. She's standing there doing the dishes and she must have smelled me coming because she turned off the water and she grabbed the rag off the counter. She starts drying her hands off and she turns to me and she goes, how you feeling? You doing okay? And I could, I could not keep my eyes on her while she was dodging. And uh, told her, yeah, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm just a little tired. I think I'm going to go lay down. And I got about to the door to my bedroom and I heard her start laughing. So I, I knew I wasn't in too much trouble, but it was it was more awkward and more um, more anxiety with her than it was with the cops. You know, last thing you want to be is a disappointment. But uh, when I heard her laugh, I just I walked in my room, I shut the door, I laid down in bed. Man, I must have I must have laughed my ass off for thirty minutes, just knowing she knew, knowing I was loaded. It was. It was quite the first experience. So that was, that was about 14, 15. I don't really remember, somewhere in there. And that, that's the first time. Man. That's, I've never had a trip like it. And I don't know if anybody really does, you know, after that first. I don't know if there's anything that matches that first one. Yeah, it had to be a huge load off to hear Bomb fucking laugh like that. I know. Yeah. Oh, that would have been very intense, but to feel that relief, that would have been pretty awesome. Yeah. And, uh, so, obviously, uh, it wasn't a deterrent. So, how long before the next round? Oh, a couple days. A couple, just a couple of days. Next time I got picked up after school and it was time to go with the boys, man. It was, it was time to go with the boys. So it just became a regular occurrence after that, you know. Um, we were so poor at the time that, uh, you know, one thing turns into another. You go from smoking to pushing. and You got to do what you got to do to put a little food on the table, so... Doing what I needed to do allowed me to start, you know, sneaking 20s in my mom's purse and coming home with food here and there. And sometimes I think it was just a blessing that I'd be able to leave the house for a few days. You know, I'd leave on Friday, come back on Sunday. And she might have worried about me for a little bit, but she didn't have to feed me. I, you know, didn't have the cops showing up at the house, wasn't getting in fights, never got arrested, any of that. So. Tried to take a little bit of a, you know, in hindsight, I don't know if it worked because I was missing, you know, who knows what I was out there doing, but um, I was trying to take a little bit of pressure off her just by giving her a few days of not worrying about one of us. And uh, only got to worry about feeding, you know, two of the three of us. So I don't know if it worked, but I had some fun times, you know, some good weekends. We'd go, we'd go check out the universities around here and, Hit the college parties, man. We was 
was a lot of fun from my side, but I don't know if my mom would agree. <laughs> I don't sometimes know. It, that, sometimes that lifestyle is a necessary evil to, uh, you know, get things done. So, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it Good was. times for sure, I'm sure. Oh, we made some memories. <laughs> we made some memories. I was rolling with, you know, my three best friends. So, um, I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world knowing what I know now, you know. Um, one of them passed away back in May. May? Yeah, May. He was shot by the cops. So this whole racial, social injustice thing kind of kind of hit home for me. You know, I was it was actually within a few days of what happened to George Floyd that um, it happened to my friend too. So it's all been kind of surreal, you know. It's, my life would make a good book. I'm not in a hurry to write it, but it would make a good book. So, you know, you know, having the having the memories that I have with him from those days is pretty high on the treasured list now. Because I, I don't get to make any more. So. Um, Sorry to hear that, man. It's always tough to lose a friend. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate for sure. He was a good dude. But, you know, it's, it's the way life goes sometimes, I guess. Yeah, it's been a rough year for me like that, too. I've lost one of my childhood friends and my uh, dad this year. And fortunately, I got to see one buried, but the other one, uh, COVID started up, and I never got to see my father buried. So. Yeah, it's been sorry. a tough year for that kind of stuff. Man. Yeah, it's... Sure. It was probably March or April. My girlfriend started calling us the year of transformation. And it, it seems to be holding true. You know, everything's transforming. Everything is completely changing, not just a little. It's not an alteration, but transformation for sure. Sounds like she's got some good foresight there. Holy cow. Yeah, I, I wish she wasn't so good sometimes, but at least she called it, you know. So it's like like you said, like you know for sure this year's been a wild ride. But uh let's see, through just through the end of high school into my early twenties, probably for I don't know, six or eight years there, we we parted pretty hard, man. We did a pretty good job of tearing the town up. And then uh, life started to settle down a little bit. And I finally got to, to transform, you know, from, from just smoking into to growing a couple. I had a, uh, I got a cousin that's quadriplegic. And He's uh, five years younger than me, maybe. And uh, just helping him, my aunt, my cousins, including him, my grandma, just helping them all move. And he's got one of them old um, asylum 
medical beds. It's all metal, metal frames. It's got the, the hydraulics on each side to lift your head, lift your legs. Um, my uncle and I were, were moving that and uh, got it wedged in the door, the door frame between the house and the garage. It got stuck at an angle in the door frame and we couldn't, couldn't get it to move. I happened to be on the downhill side of it in the uh, garage and for the five minutes there, I wasn't realizing it at the time, but by the time we got that thing unstuck from the doorway, I had crushed a couple of discs and had uh, I'm pretty tore up where, where my neck meets my chest. I don't I don't try to remember the numbers. I got educated in the spine and all that, but I don't. I don't like to remember my specific injuries because it just causes anxiety. Um, but I, I crushed a couple of discs and got some pretty significant injuries in my upper back, neck, that led to me having some issues with uh, my diaphragm doesn't always expand right, so I can't always catch that fulfilling breath. And then I had some numbness and tingleness in, in the side of my face and down my arms. Um, went through a few years of chiropractic and never was. So when I was when I was young, I went to go get my tonsils removed and found out I was allergic to uh, codeine. So I've never been a fan of, of any of the opiates or opiate derivatives. So I never went through the whole pain pill, Oxycontin thing that a lot of people have got sucked into that it's a whole nother tragedy to hit our nation. But um, I went to some chiropractic and got some other therapies. And I mean, the chiropractic helped, but the only thing that really did the trick was cannabis. So that's, that's what led me to, to getting a couple plants and trying out this growing thing. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just been a journey, but it's all led me down the path to, to where I am. And then cannabis saving me, putting me back together. I spent, after I was injured, I spent probably three months on the floor. When I, when I say on the floor, like I, I wouldn't be hungry. I'd have tingles in my face. My lips would draw shut. Um, and I'd finally get relaxed to the point where I was hungry. I'd get up and I'd go to to make a sandwich or something real quick because I knew I didn't have a lot of time. By the time I'd make the sandwich, get back to my floor, I'd be so messed up I couldn't eat again. So I'd have to start the whole process over and leave the sandwich on my bed and knew it was there when the next time I was hungry, you know. So it was kind of a weird game. It took me six or seven months to get back on my feet, which isn't really on my feet for the way most people consider it, but um, at least I could, sit, I could sit up, I could function, I couldn't do the dishes or anything mundane, but I could walk around, I could sit, I could not be in a bunch of pain, and um, that's when I started reading. Couldn't grow yet, but I started reading about it, started reading about, you know, how do I how do I do this? How does this work? 
diving into the forums and reading as much as I could. I, I was reading about organic soil. I knew I wanted to do organic soil. I knew I wanted to do it as natural as I could. Um, ended up finding Clackamas Coot on a, a handful of forums and basically read everything that he popped up in a post about. Learned about Coots Mix. Um, and then from there, it started to branch out into other sort of agriculture and whole systems approaches, um, not just like put a plant in a pot and grow it, but how do I, you know, how do I close the loop? How do I learn to compost? How do I learn worm composting? How do I learn even larger farm systems, the key line design and permaculture and um, like carbon farming and aquaponics and how do you um the other side to aquaponics is not aquaponics but it's like how do you clean the water coming out of your you know the gray water coming out of your house how do you clean that so that when it runs into a pond the pond's not polluted um so i started to, to just really dive into farming like head first and cannabis was really the catalyst but then it turned into how do I grow fruit trees? How do I grow grain crops? How do I grow these vegetables? And what what makes them all so different? And so it just turned into a, you know, not to steal your phrase, but it turned into a big rabbit hole for me, uh, which ended up giving me a, a mental release while I dealt with this physical angst and pain and inflammation. And uh, come to find out you store a lot of trauma in your muscles so I was, I was trying to deal with with the trauma, which I, I had, didn't know at the time, but the trauma was locked up in the same muscles that I was having issues with due to the injury. So it would kind of compound itself and go in cycles and I was trying to you know break the cycle. And it turned into about a decade while I waited for my, my siblings to graduate high school I was at home just trying to learn all this as much as I could through most of my 20s, my late 20s. I was trying to just soak all this up. Started to learn about Gabe Brown and Dan Kittridge and Joel Salatin. And, oh, there's, there's a handful more I can't think of right now, but they all do different aspects of this sort of farming the way farming should be. And I, I realized through it all that that's that's what I wanted to do. You know, and I didn't want I wanted to find a way to help people, but not just help people eat, but help people feel better and help people live the life that they're supposed to live. Because these are all the things I've been having trouble with. So I needed to find some sort of way to make it easier for other people that were going to come in the same shoes that I've walked in. And um, you know, I guess most of my life I've just been trying to help people. I've never been really good at helping myself, but I'm always trying to help people. It's that whole what goes around comes around sort of philosophy, I guess. And uh, I went to went to college, and then they came. You know, the the K and F and JADAM started to pick up, and funny enough, I was in an herb school, so I started to understand a little bit more of 
how much of a tip of the iceberg that sort of stuff is. And with the, the knowledge that they bring to the table and how they're, how they make some of those preparations and stuff. I'm just now like, just now getting to the point where I'm trying to understand my localities, herbs and what sort of things I can make with them. And so the, the education game definitely hasn't stopped. If anything, it's, it's ramping up after graduation now that I can finally tailor myself to what my, my true interest and what I feel like my real purpose is. It's going to get carried away in the next couple of years. I'm pretty excited about it. It's uh, pretty awesome, man. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate uh, you going down the road without the opiates. That's for sure. Uh, I've seen many of people go down that road and you know get stuck in that path that you're talking there. And uh, so I have much respect for you for having that injury. And that's not an easy injury. That's many long nights, no sleeping, a lot of anxiety to tough through without any kind of medication be a lot of heavy metal bouts too trying to get through that as well and so again hats off to you brother you seem to be a very strong individual yeah so i lost a couple of friends over the the opiates thing back in my 20s so i guess that was just further discouragement from from going that route too but i mean they didn't they didn't all pass away but you know they get distrustful they get to Oh hey, can I can I borrow some money? I gotta you know pay my rent. And come to find out, two days later, you know they're strung out on the couch and can't answer the phone, and you wonder why. Um, they start lying to you and deceit and playing mind games, and it's just I I realized you know how wicked that stuff really is. Like wicked in the, the evil sense of the word. Like it's it's not the people, it's it's the opiates. So it was all you know just further ammunition to kind of push me away from that stuff. It, it wasn't easy, but I I think I'm a tough son of a gun to, to have done it. You know, it's a little bit of a pat on my own back there for actually pulling it off, getting to the point where I can sit here and have a conversation. I'm not in pain right now, so you know, I'm doing okay. Um, but definitely, definitely it's not the road. So uh, when you first started growing there, uh, what were some of the uh, strains that you were seeking and what were some of the methods that you were using that uh, in, ingestion methods or, you know, what was helping the most? I'm, I'm a flower guy, man. I smell flowers. You know, that's, that's just what I love. Um, I had a couple of, there was actually a couple of like, you know, clone nurseries and stuff available back in the medical days before they rolled recreational through here and messed it all up. But so I had a handful of clones through, through that sort of a deal. I had the, the cherry pie and I had something that they called Northern Lights, but the rename game has always been really strong out here. So even when you would get a bag and it came with a name, we weren't really sure that that's what it was. Um, I would get skunk that smelled like cheese and cheese that smelled like fruit. And, and so it's just, you know, you never really were sure 
what you were getting. You just had to kind of take it as the bag appeared, you know, you just, um, so I'm not sure that the Northern Lights was Northern Lights. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the cherry pie was cherry pie, though. That's some loud stuff. Um, what else did I have? I had a couple of bag seeds from, you know, back in the day that I had saved. They didn't have a name or anything, but a couple of them were okay. A couple of them were bunk. Then I started getting into the whole seed game and trying to learn about, you know, the whole time I was researching, I was trying to learn about different breeders, where the genetics came from, learning about the old cuts. And um, one of the things I, I, there was two things I could reliably get in the area. One was blueberry and the other one was a, was, it was a white rhino that just, it was everywhere. I don't know who was doing it, but it was everywhere for a while. And blueberry was everywhere for like four years. It was just, everybody had blueberry. And it'd be these little, uh, I remember me and my my same three buddies, we bought an ounce one day. And uh, ended up at my, one of my buddies' houses while his dad was at work. And we're sitting down at the kitchen table and we poured the ounce out and we're looking at it and we're, you know, divvying it up between us. And next thing you know, there's, they're these little lime green, rock hard little buds, and every bud looked like a little Christmas tree. They all had a really fine point on them, and they were hard. Like, you could squish them, and they wouldn't squish. And next thing I know, one buddy's throwing a nugget at the other buddy, and you hear him go, ow! And then the next guy's throwing, a, and next thing you know, we're all running around the house with a handful of nugs and we're just throwing them at each other playing dodgeball with, with little weed nugs. It was, it was a lot of fun for about 20 minutes till we tried to go find them all. But uh, it's one of the things I'll never forget. We were throwing these little blueberry nugs at each other. Total waste of weed, but we had a great time. But that, that blueberry, those little, the pine green, just like lime green, not pine green, lime green. They look like little pine trees, though, little Christmas trees with the with the point on them. Reeked like blueberries. Like we thought somebody sprayed some artificial blueberry muffin sort of. We're looking at the bag, looking for condensation from the spray that we thought they might have been using. You know, they were just they were rank of nothing but blueberries, and that stuff was around three four years. We must have seen couple pounds of that through the years man it was just so that one i'm pretty sure was blueberry and then the white rhino just it, it couldn't have been anything else it came labeled as white rhino we found it from multiple people you know everybody called it white rhino and that was that was some good stuff the one yeah, that i, I the white rhino yeah, I mean, Great that, the holy grail of it all was this one quarter I picked up one day. And if I would have known what it was, I would have picked up more than a quarter of it. But by the time I got home and was coherent enough to call him back and say, hey, man, you got some more of that, it was all gone. And uh, I got a quarter of it. I got home. I broke it up like I usually do, but I was trying to figure out why my fingers were sticking together and I was having a hard time breaking this stuff up. Loaded the bowl, took a puff, 
It was nothing but coffee and chocolate the whole way. It wasn't so nuanced back then, but that's what I remember was coffee and chocolate. Took a second puff, still coffee and chocolate. About five minutes later, I was asleep. Woke up from a two-hour nap and looked at the bong. It was like, really? I didn't even finish the bowl. I'm a lightweight. Went back to it, took a puff, took another puff, took another two-hour nap. After the second nap, I woke up, called him back, said, hey, do you have any more of that stuff? And he was like, no, it's all gone. And the only thing I've ever been able to akin it to is the pre-98 bubba. It's the only, it's the only plant that matches the profile I was seeing that day. Um, it was so so sticky that when I rolled the bag up to put it away, and then, then I went to unroll it later, the bag stuck to itself and ripped. Like it was, it was serious serious fire. And ever since then, pre ninety eight has been on my my top three list. You know, it's. it's it was just the perfect medicine for me, whatever whatever that bag was. I'm pretty sure it was pre-98, but I haven't got her to flower her out yet. So I'm not 100% sure yet, but there's nothing else that fits the bill. It's got to be the pre-98 bubble. Nice. And perfect flavor profile. I love chocolate and uh, coffee. So that just perked my ears right up when you said it would be uh, pretty nice. Yeah, pretty nice. A lot of people are looking for that type of profile these days. I know the American one in Chad's looking for a nice chocolate, and I happen to know his he That's one of his favorite profiles as well as uh, that chocolate and coffee outside of cannabis. So I'm sure he'd be all over that. That sounds just delicious. Yeah, it was it was incredible smoke. I can only hope that the cut is the smoke. You know, I, I hope they turn out to be one of the same. But, uh, I got some leads out there, so I, hopefully she'll turn up one of these days. I could do without the sleeping every two puffs, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely some nighttime ads if that's if that's what it is for sure. But the blueberry was always really euphoric, really creative. Um, really really good for somebody into like the arts or music or it was it was my first introduction to what i call sunshine weed and living up here in such a a drizzly dismal environment it's nice to find herb that when you smoke it it always feels like the sun comes out and that was that was where i really like coined the the sunshine weed kind of term philosophy, whatever you want to call it. So it, was, it was the first thing I smoked that it didn't matter what time of day it was. It didn't matter what you were doing or how you were feeling. You take a couple puffs of that and it just, it feels like the sunshine comes out and you can almost hear the birds singing and life's, you know, back to normal for a little while. So that's probably the, the other side of the coin of what I'm chasing is, is sunshine weed. Um, Regardless of the turf, it's, it's the feeling. Yeah, that was uh, the, when I was talking with Dragon Flame Genetics the other night. Uh, 
That was the two I asked him for right there. Well, pine, I like the nice pine, like for multiple reasons. And then I asked him, do you got that good uh, sociable smoke, you know, that, you know, as soon as you take cup puffs, everybody's, you know, smiling, want to fucking talk and just feel good about themselves. Yeah. I miss that kind of smoke right there. One when you can heart, you can't even keep a straight face. It's hard as you try. Yeah, man. You keep a straight face. Yeah. Wow, on that. If I can smoke something and it makes me go feel like going and sitting on the back porch, then I, I know I found a winner. You know, that's. I love some sunshine weed, man. It's sociable. It's really euphoric. It's uh. Sometimes it's even on the creative side. Uh, I've learned, I was listening to Kevin Jodry a while back, and he broke it down in a way that made sense to me. Um, You got the the floral, the fruity, the earthy, and the gassy. That's what he called it. Those were his, like, four realms of cannabis. And I think that sociable, creative sunshine weed is in the fruity floral combination where that the nighttime smoke is more on the gassy earthy sort of side so i'm I'm trying to in my own personal projects i'm trying to separate those two and um, see what comes out of it because there's definitely a weed for every use for every you know activity um but I, I don't think you win so much when you take one from the floral fruity and put it on the earthy gassy. I think it just kind of muddles the purpose a little bit to me. So I'm definitely trying to make the two sides to the coin there by keeping them separate. You may be right out on the citrusy side of things. I do note that uh, especially the orange terps are great for, you know, a decent, uh, daytime smoke just good all around a good mood profile but for me i you know, i remember from what i remember that laughing laughy, laughy bud laid in the pines and that's mm-hmm. you know for me it's clear-headed but that's what i when i that's the way i get with the pines that first one is clear-headed you know it kind of clears out all the bullshit and anxiety and then if i you know brave enough to uh double up on that then it's it's all good after that you know what i mean uh all all enjoying after the second pine one so definitely agree they lay in the citrusy area but man i definitely think it's down that pine road too so it's tough exactly. call tough call but yeah that might be part of my misunderstanding i guess i, I have a hard time finding the pine without the lemon and I really don't like the lemon personally. It's just my own physiology. The lemon strains always give me a bit of an anxiety. Um, I don't know if they're a little too, I, I can handle the heady stuff, but it maybe it's too much of a head rush. I haven't really teased it out yet, but there's something about that pine lemon combo that just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. I know there's a lot of people that feel like you do though and they they love the pine and they love the lemon too and then they love the the combo um 
but I just, I, something about it doesn't like me. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. It doesn't like me. I haven't figured it out yet, though. I it's like funny the. You throw in the, le go the ahead. lemons there because I'm not such a fan of the lemony either, but I do like like the pine. So. I was talking not, to a very super lemon. Sorry, go ahead. ahead. Pete runs the Operation Grow Show, and he was he was talking about the Durban the other day, and he was saying the Durban is is pine and pepper. So I'm curious to see what that sort of a pine pepper, without any mention of lemon, but maybe that's where I can find some pine without the lemon to see really what it's all about without that. See if it really is the lemon that's giving me the head rush I don't like. And then to try the pine without the lemon influence, because it just seems like everywhere I find pine, I find lemon mixed in. So. I have some some Durban in the toolbox, and when I get to them, I'm, I'm interested to see if a if the Durban that I have is pine and pepper, and then b if it's just pine and no lemon. Cause like I don't like the lemon. I do like the fruits though, like the blueberry I was mentioning. The cherries are pretty nice. I've had a little bit of banana and a little bit of pineapple. Um, so there's some fruits that are really nice. They're just lemons, not one of them. I've never had the orange, though. I've heard it's kind of mellow. I've heard it's not much. Oh, yeah. Not much. Most, most people like the orange. It's a very mellow. And a lot of people find it's good for PTSD. Uh, just for that reason, it's very calming. Uh, ladies. The, the female smokers seem to be very fond of the oranges uh, for some reason or another. I find it, you know, it's a good time, daytime smoke for me, but as far as uh, really to knock me out, knock me out, uh, oranges are one of the ones that are one of the heavy, heavier hitting ones for me. But right. very flavorful, t very tasty, tasty. But uh, from just in for myself, man, it takes a lot of orange weed to <laughs> really put me put me down there. I enjoy smoking it though; it's really tasty. It's always you have, to smoke. Do you have a favorite? Like, like are you Calio or Tangy, or is there a favorite that you like? Man, I've had some good ones. Uh, Calio. Uh, I have right now. Calio, I've always find, will give you uh, more of an orange citrus. Uh, Agent Orange, like we're running, is more of a, like an orange, mm -hmm. like a rotten orange or a burnt orange. I like the orange citrusy side of things, if I can get it. I don't like the, the burnt orange side of the oranges myself. But there's some good ones. Uh, I'm, I'm running Orange Boss right now from... Uh, North Star and that thing, even in veg, <laughs> smelled like a, a box of or a bag of oranges sitting right there. It's like too powerful. I, right, I've actually got for a guy that just said he's like on the fence on oranges. There, <laughs> I've got way too much going in the garden. I got the <laughs> orange paws. I've got uh, Agent Orange going and Jelly Bean. All have them orange tones to them. So, 
He's like, them, them cannons you see me smoke might just have to get a little bit bigger here in the next month or so. <laughs> One of these <laughs> be going to the party cones. <laughs> oh, shit. That's awesome. Make really good extracts, too. Tasty, tasty extracts. Yeah. Yeah, I bet they're tasty. Um, is it, is it like, a, like a candied orange kind of thing? Is that what you look for? A citrus orange. That's what you find in the jelly bean there, but uh, you can find like a candy orange. And I tell you what, some of the orange ones that you do get, boy, sure do make a tasty, tasty rosin. I'll give them that too. It does make a just an incredible rosin. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to see how the how the flavor profile of really anything, but especially the fruits. I think the fruits are really interesting when you can get them into a concentrate. Um, I'm not big on on smoking concentrate myself, but I do like to see how the how the flavor profile condenses and how it 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 almost magnifies the fruits because you've got so much in such a small space that you can really get your nose around it. So I've found that just to be super interesting to see how how the when you can get so much of it into one place, how it intensifies into it's like the difference between a, a juice and a hard candy. Like it, they're both orange or they're both whatever they are, but the orange candy in the mouth is always so much more of the flavor than the juices. And it's interesting to see that happen with, with the fruity flavors of cannabis. Man, I've had a couple that were like just straight fruity pebbles. Uh, Jabba Pie was like that, and um, damn, what was the other one? Uh, shit, I gotta think about that one for a second. <laughs> I haven't had the fruity pebbles, but I've had the fruity pebbles cereal milk, which I find absolutely incredible. Um, I don't, I don't know if you've had the fruity pebbles OG, but it's kind of like that. And then I, I haven't had the fruity pebbles OG. That's that's exactly but, uh, what it smells like. It's fruity pebbles cereal milk, the milk, not the cereal. Nice, wow. Nice. You know, it made for very tasty smoke too. I always it was a pleasure to open that jar on that stream. I can't think of the other one for. Uh, It'll come to you. <laughs> I won a, uh, so a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, the last real decimating year for the Cali fires, there was a bunch of auctions going on for relief for the people that lost everything. And I ended up winning a pack of, um, they were mint chocolate chip and exotic genetics did the cross, but I found a pack of F1s, so it was just seeds from the cross. He hadn't worked them at all. And I ended up winning that pack. And I had grown out some of the, the F2s that Exotic Genetics had put out. So I had my favorite F2 keeper in the tent, and then I won the F1s. So it was really interesting for me to grow the F1s alongside this F2 keeper that I had. And the F2 keeper was very, 
it was very pronounced on the gas, but it still had some of this like fruity creaminess to it. But when I ran the F1s, they came out very much fruity pebble cereal milk. There was no gas. Or maybe I selected against the gas. I haven't figured it out. But um, man, that stuff was delicious. And then I ended up hearing about the Fruity Pebble OG and how it was sort of the same deal. So I'm excited to get back into the F2s of the mint chocolate chip and see if it still dominates with that Fruity Pebble cereal milk kind of thing. And then take some pollen from that and put it on the FDOG and see what happens. They both have the um, green ribbon on both sides. So it'll be interesting to see if that has something to do with it or if I'll pop out some sort of a, you know, an outlier throwback sort of thing or what. But I'm, I'm curious to put the Fruity Pebble cereal milk on the Fruity Pebble cereal milk and see if I can kind of come up with my own my own little line instead of running the, the mint chocolate chip down the line and making it confusing when you compare it to exotic genetics work that's out there. I don't really want to do that. So. Um, but that yeah, flavor, the flavor profile is incredible, man. If you can get your hands on the Fruity Pebble OG, I, just, I would suggest you to just try on the flower or try on the plant yourself. She's, she's fun. Yeah, I hope you get it. That is a super tracy profile. And both strains that I ran that had that profile were just huge, huge uh, yielders. I don't know if it's in the profile or what, but. Is that the, the Fruity Pebble curbs? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Jack Greensock, the one was from. Uh, the, the Java Pie was from Ocean Grown that had the Fruity Pebbles there. And the other one was from Heroes of the Farm, although I can't freaking remember the name of that strain for nothing. Uh, for the top of my head. And I gave it away to uh, Old Man Hermit Hash, the last pack of seeds I had. But for the life of me, I can't remember the name of that strain right now. <laughs> but uh, definitely a good one. It was a limited one from Sub. And I can't even... Yeah, that'd be interesting to see the the fruity pebbles without the milk. Well, the only thing I've had is with the creamy. It's it just it tastes like milk. It's just cream, real creamy. But if you if I could try the fruity pebbles, just fruity pebbles, that would be. I bet that was a an experience. Oh, it was. It was. And now I actually want to get my book out. <laughs> uh, I hate having a brain fart on the air. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I don't think we, you know, we talked a little bit about there, a little bit about um, that first grow there, but what was the setup like? I mean, a uh, couple so, pots, what was the light like? Uh, Kind of nutrients, all that good stuff. I so I ended up putting together Coop Mix, which is one third compost, one third uh, aeration, one third peat moss. 
And then I just followed his instructions at the time and, and added uh, neem meal, kelp meal, crab meal, oyster shell flour, gypsum, rock dust. And I, for flour, I've always been, since I had spent so much time reading about the farming side of things, I always wanted to give the plants as much root space as they needed. And I always wanted to try to keep the biology at, at the higher end. And it made sense to me to have a larger amount of soil when it came to nutrient cycling and holding on to like like creating a, a nutrient bank in the soil it made sense to me to have a larger amount of soil so my first setup was a was a four by four tent with a 150 gallon smart pot in it which a four by four tent is 48 inches by 48 inches and the 150 gallon smart pot is 44 inches diameter so i had just two inches on each side on the left and the right and the front and the back and then i had these triangles of open space in the corners and i was vegging the the plants in littler pots and then transplanting into this 150 gallon pot and uh, I, I started under a 600 watt hps and built a trellis with pvc pipe and fishing line and some screws i still use basically the same trellis but i have a different pot these days but back then i was running the the smart pot and then i had the trellis going in that two inches around the smart pot up over the pot and i would transplant into the pot and then it was just the flower tent was the flower tent it just stayed on flower timer i never messed with the timer and I would just harvest and replant and let it go and harvest and replant, let it go cycle after cycle with the, the coots mix in both the flower pot and in the pots that I was vegging in. So it was just a kind of a water only thing. Back then I was cloning using um, that same, same soil and just aloe vera I dipped the cut in aloe vera, put it in the soil, water it with coconut water, and put it in the, the clone dome with the, the lid on it and check it in 10 days. And I had a 95% plus strike rate on my clones. So life, life was pretty sweet for the first three years, maybe. Um, it was that same same setup, just two four by four tents, vegging in one, flowering in another. I was running those clones that I got from the nursery. I was running some seeds that I'd come across. I was running some seeds I'd kept from back in the day. And then I wanted to start doing my own projects. I started to realize that that yeah, growing spawn, yeah, smoking's great, but I want to make my own seeds. I want to do my own, 
get into genetics and make my own strains and have a little bit more fun than just growing and smoking and growing and smoking because it was not that it was boring but it wasn't enough for me um so i took all of that soil because it was a couple of years old i took all that soil out to the back porch and bought another tent bought another light bought a whole new setup and i was going to double down on the soil volume so I mixed up a whole other batch of soil, but I wanted to mix the old soil and the new soil so that I didn't have two tents that were, you know, three years apart, basically. And with my injuries, it turned out to be too much work to do in a day to drag it all out, mix it all up and drag it all back in. And so the soil had to sit out there overnight before I could finish it up the next day. And the next day I brought it all in, didn't think nothing of it. But in the long run, leaving it out overnight, I ended up getting a fair amount of pill bugs and a fair amount of earwigs in the soil. So I brought all those guys in with me. And over the next three years, they multiplied to disgusting levels because there's nothing in the system to check them. So I had two flower tents, both with 150 gallon smart pots, both infested with pill bugs and earwigs. And it got to the point where I'd, I'd open the tent and it would just look like the soil was crawling. It was just like, just constantly moving. And the pill bugs started eating my seedlings and veg. The earwigs started climbing into my plants. It, it was just disgusting. Like it was, it was nasty. And I couldn't figure out a way to check them. You know, there's, very few things out there that'll eat a pill bug. And I didn't know enough at the time to learn how to mitigate the issues. So in the end, I took all of that and took it outside where it still sits. This was about a year ago about the same time i learned about grassroots fabric pots so i bought two of their four by four fabric pots with the the liner on the inside so now i got a four by four fabric pot stuffed in a four by four tent which i didn't realize until i tried to set it up but my four by four tents are really 311 by 311. They're not true 4x4s. So it was kind of a trick to stuff a 4x4 pot into a 311, 311 tent. But I still pulled it off. And now the trellis hooks right into the corners of the pot. So it's, it's much better now than it was. Because I've also got a fresh soil mix, so I don't have the earwigs and the pill bug problem anymore. 
and um, I've sealed up the tents so that they don't find their way into the house and find their way into the tents. And I've got the man. That's got to be a, a heavy bed. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I'm on concrete floors. Um, I don't think there's a way to do it otherwise. I don't think it's safe to do on on a regular wood wood floor. I, don't, I think it's too much weight. But it's it's pretty sweet now. So I, I started with the smart pots and graduated to the fabric beds. I still run the the Coots mix, but I learned a little bit. So I went from just blindly following his recipe to this last time I set up the fresh dirt, sent it to a soil lab, got it analyzed, got it back, and then went through the process of actually figuring out what I needed to add to amend it properly instead of just willy-nilly adding stuff. And I'm actually getting ready. I, I just about need another soil test to make sure that I'm still on the right track. Because it's not a it's not a one and done thing. It's a slow nudging of the system to get it to where you want to be. So right. hopefully, hopefully I'm getting there. The plants look a lot better than they did. The yields came back. Now I just got to get the. Um, the blue mats that I've had for like uh, two years, I got to get those hooked up now. So <laughs> if it's not one thing, it's another. But um, I'm, I'm slowly getting there. And then I've, I've traded the 600 watt HPSs out for. Um, so before Sunlight Supply sold off to one of them evil corporations. Um, I bought two Magnum triple XL hoods, air, air cooled hoods. And then I found a 315 watt ceramic metal halide conversion kit that screws into the air cooled hood. And then you screw the bulb into the converter. And then that plugs into the 315 ballast and you plug it in just normally. So I've got this massive air-cooled hood over a 4x4 four four with a 315-watt bulb in it. I've managed to, to basically cut the power consumption in half and keep the same square footage. And I, I noticed a little bit of a loss in yield, but the loss in yield was made up for by an easier-to-manage environment. And that led to what what feels like increased secondary metabolites the plants are a little bit happier the aromas are stronger the flavors are stronger so it, it was a fair trade for me um i don't know that if somebody was in a, a production situation that it would necessarily make the same sense but for me and just growing my own medicine here it makes perfect sense for me. So I, I don't mind the little bit of a loss in yield for the increase in quality. I'm definitely a, a quality chaser instead of a quantity chaser. Nothing wrong with that. Like you said, it's your medicine. It might as well be the best medicine you can uh, ingest. Yeah, man. So I, anyway, I hope I'm not rambling too much, but um, that's kind of where I started, no. and now it's you know where I'm getting to here. 
trying to automate the water. I'm learning about soil testing and top dressing. Um, trying to just keep up in my game, you know. Um, but it's cool now that I can I can actually flower both tents on the same electricity I was flowering the one tent I had before, because there is a little bit of a being so educated and being so hard on myself i have i tend to have strict philosophies in life and it it really bothers me sometimes that i have to grow a plant inside under an artificial light so if i'm gonna have to do that i want to do it in the way that makes the most sense in the larger world i want to try to use the least amount of power and the least amount of water i want to stretch my nutrients as much as I can, um, because I understand the you know the greater impact of things, and I don't want to eat myself up inside by trying to feel like I'm being greedy in one sense of the word or another by creating a system that's so far out of balance that it it's all about you know the final product and not considering anything else in life. So I try to take it easy on the power bill and the water bill, and I try to take it easy on as much as I can while still having to live within the confines of the way that things are structured where I am. So that's kind of my philosophy behind using a lesser wattage light and a larger amount of soil and trying to go the organic route and trying to keep the environment dialed in and it's it's a whole philosophy that carries throughout the rest of my life as well but it's to not feel so guilty about having to grow a plant using all these artificial means because i can't I simply can't do it outside it's not safe it's not legal they won't let me so it's just yeah a that's a bummer yeah so sounds like you might be in a location where you might be able to get away with it though you know in the middle of, it sounds like you kind of might be in the middle of nowhere which is pretty awesome but man i i thought about it this year and then my, one of my neighbors kind of reared their ugly head in a spot that i didn't think they would and i was like ah it's not this year it's not this year man but yeah open one of these years i'm in the same boat man i hope one of these years it'll work out but i yeah like i was mentioned earlier i didn't have any in the backyard either so. um, maybe eventually like some nice, we'll be able to see some nice looking ones outdoors this year too so oh man rubs it, rubbed it in <laughs> yeah sun grown he's in chat he's been rubbing it in lately he had some killer plants outdoors this year doesn't help that he's super humble about it either. Like, oh, you know, it just happened. It's like, dude, that doesn't just happen. <laughs> you did something right. He absolutely smashed it this year. Yeah, it's one of those things, I don't know, I guess, careful what you wish for. I've got a nice little system here. You know, I'm a, I'm a caregiver and I run a perpetual harvest. And that's fine with me because it's just me. You know what I mean? I'm harvesting what I can handle. So 
I don't know if I went outdoors. I would be so freaking stressed out right now worrying about trying to get everything done on that one-man team. I would be killing yeah. myself right now. Yeah, that's that's the one thing about the outdoor full terms is they all basically come in at the same time. You know, there's no perpetual stretch out the workload about it. It's just you start and then you finish. <laughs> and I can only imagine the stress it is trying to get it in in time, you know, so you don't lose it. Oh, and like, like you mentioned, oh, it rained today or it frosted today. That I mean, them when you, them days are here are in the forecast and you're outdoors i think you just don't sleep you just you yeah. just keep going there's no time to stop you put on the headlight yeah and it's it's an all-nighter uh, shout out to you guys probably doing that right now <laughs> yeah it always surprises <laughs> me too when you you get to this part of the year and you hear about the genetics that you know, they had three frosts and they're still alive. It's like, what What were you growing again? What is that? It did what? It froze and it's still, it's not mush? Like, so I, I try to pay attention, especially with the land races and the heirlooms, about which ones can take that sort of pressure and, and pull through because I really want to get outside of this this OG chem diesel cookies haze like box that we've as Americans we've all kind of put ourselves inside this box and it's just like we're crossing everything inside of the box with each other at this point and I want to get outside of that so when next when I see these land race heirloom guys talking about you know this had three weeks of rain and then we harvested it and there's no mold or this plant had three frosts consecutively and it still stands happy it's like i need some of that because <laughs> that's what i want to do is i want to go back to the land races and breed my own crosses and make my own magic and kind of relive the the late 70s and the 80s and the 90s all on my own terms, all in my own tents, and it might take the rest of my life, but that's what I want to do with my life. So if it takes the rest of my life, I'll, you know, I'll be happy. That's I want to kind of see it all myself and see if I can take some land races and turn them into something like what we have today. But maybe I can find different profiles, or I can find different growth structures, or I can find something unique to bring to the table and leave behind when I'm gone. And um, it's it's a passion, you know, so it's, it's not going to be a life wasted, but that's, that's really what I'm trying to get to. Shout out to you, brother, because I've, I've been talking about that for a long time. I'm right there with you. I'm not a big fan of hype at, it, at all. And once it's reached that hype stage, I just want to pull that shit right out of my garden. I don't care if it's, I really don't care if it's the best thing going. It's like, uh, what good's growing it if every friggin' where I go, that's what's going to be there, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then yeah. on top of that, you get the people just like you were stating earlier, kind of getting into that gray area of breeding there where everybody's just crossing everything with it because that's hype. That's hype. 
I want that on my label. So I've got to cross that hype and this hype. And now I've got a pack of seeds that will sell no matter what, because it's hype times hype. It's yeah. got to be good. It's hype. You know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just that it's going to wreck. It's going to wreck a lot of strains in the end that right there, that just refusal of wanting to go back and just stabilize genetics instead of just blending everything together with the hype strains. Uh, I don't know. It's nice to know that there's some people like yourself trying to go outside the box instead of just running along with the train. Yeah, there's there's a whole, I mean, it's kind of a sub-community of the cannabis community, but there's a whole group of people that are really interested in getting outside of that and exploring what else cannabis really has to offer. And while you were talking just a second ago, I'm actually trying to think, like, I haven't grown Blue Dream. I haven't grown GG4. I haven't grown Mac 1. I'm trying to actually think if there is a, a hype strain that I've I've actually grown. And by the time I have access to them, like you say, they're everywhere. And I don't even really want to take them in. Like, because I'm, I'm like the caboose, you know, I, I don't, if, if I'm last in the line, I don't really want to play that game, you know, like, I don't think there is a single one I've really grown that was truly hype like that. I can't even think of one. I mean, I had cherry pie, but that wasn't the same level of hype. It's getting there, though. I mean, nowadays, I mean, cherry pie seems to be like on a lot of lips right now for some reason. I've noticed it has been so lately in a while, which is wild because it was everywhere five years ago. It was everywhere. Is it that, is it the, the rareness factor? I, you know, I don't know. I think that it's one of those things that uh, it was a little late realized on some of the great effects, you know what I mean? And now that's, uh, that everybody wants to go back to it. What came so fast, I guess, you know what I mean? Got pushed yeah. out of the way with cookies and stuff. <laughs> It really seemed like the hype train gained a bunch of speed with the blue dream cut. I don't, I think that changed the hype game forever when that came through. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, because I I was busy with school and a bunch of other things at the time. But it really seemed like the hype train gained a bunch of momentum with the blue dream cut and it just hasn't slowed down since, which was about a decade ago, maybe. Least, at least a decade. I just thinking about that cookies and I'm thinking, man, shouldn't every zip come wrapped in a t-shirt and a hat? <laughs> <laughs> Some stickers at least. Shit. Yeah. Oh man. So I mean, uh what are some some of the stuff that are you know that that you are enjoying currently? I mean, we talked about some of the stuff that you were enjoying in the beginning, but uh, what are the, some of the stuff that you're enjoying currently or, you know, maybe looking to while we're talking about hype? What that's something that's got what's what's got your eye now that we're talking about hype and stuff. I mean, what's got your eye 
I've got I've got a handful of cuts recently that I need to run and make sure they are what they say they are. And then I have a handful of lines that I've kind of paired up with the cuts. That's why I, that's why I brought the cuts in to take the the clones and hit them with a the pollen source so that I can make something unique. Um, so like I've got, um, there's banana OG, which sadly I couldn't get it to clone for me. So I had to let it go. But in the banana realm, there's another plant called sea banana, which the sea stood for a really, um, popular brand of actual bananas. But just after the GG4 lawsuit, that company went after the people that made that genetic for using their name. And they changed it from that bananas to sea bananas. And I ended up with a 10 pack of the S1s that were released from that. And then that whole project, they were going to release, they released some packs for testers, which went okay, but half of the testers put it in their seed stash and didn't pop them. So I contacted one of the breeders and I said, hey, look, man, if you let me, if you let me buy them, I'll test them. I'll buy them from you and I will test them for you. So he said, okay, and he sent them to me and I ran them and I tested them and I kept my keeper. And then that breeder and the breeder he was coordinating with had some issues and the 100 pack release they were going to do never happened. So it turned out that the testers and the people like me who hit them up hard enough to say, dude, let me, are the only ones that really got the packs. So I have this S1 that's, it's got some banana to it, but it's got some other, I always call it funk because I don't know what to call it, but I, I realized that funk is not a very descriptive word when it comes to aromas and cannabis. You can ask anybody what funk means and they all come out with a different definition. But it's got this like, it's almost like sweaty shoe kind of thing, but I hate to give it a name because it's, it's so complex that I can't really put my finger on it, but there's definitely some, some ripe bananas to it and kind of a candy sort of, which is, I guess, why the funk is so hard to identify because it's got this like sweet candy to it. But I want to take that cutting and hit it with Mean Gene Fermendo's um, Pina line, which is a pineapple. So the, I, I popped his F3s and then I got his F4s. And from his F3s, I found a keeper that is pineapple, green apple, butter combo, which sounds kind of weird, but it's really tasty. And um, it's very, that particular lady is pretty CBD heavy. She's not, she's the only thing in the stable that, that I can smoke and it won't get me high. And if I smoke something and I get too high, she'll bring me back down. So she's my safety net. 
but then I went and got the F4s and I want to take some pollen from the F4s and put it on that sea banana S1 to see what happens and see if I get a um, the ability to work some sort of a back cross project onto that S1 to get that banana pineapple funk kind of in the same set of plants. So I'm pretty excited about that project. And then the other one that I'm really excited about right now is the, um, so Lemon Hoko's in chat. And I have his uh, 99 sativa blueberry. And I have, I went through probably 80 to 100 seeds of Snow High's Blueberry Blast, which is a blueberry haze. It's um, it's Blue Dream crossed to Johnny Blaze. And Blue Dream is a blueberry haze, and Johnny Blaze is a blueberry haze. So it's, it's just blueberry haze on blueberry haze. And Snow High calls that Blueberry Blast. So I only got one seed to pop out of the 80 to 100 that I had, and then a couple of packs that I got from friends. It ended up being about 120 seeds. And I only got one seed to grow, and it ended up being a lady. So she's in, getting ready to flower right now. And I'm excited to see what comes out of that, because she has a really hazy-looking, long, skinny leaflets. She's got a really hazy look to her. And I want to take some Tom Hill's haze pollen, put it on the 99 sativa blueberry from Lemon Hoko, take that cross to an F2 or an F3, and take some pollen from that project and put it on the blueberry blacks to make a blueberry haze polyhybrid and see what comes out of that. See if I can get the blueberry and the haze and end up with something that's got, if you ever look at pictures of um, blueberry blast, they're always like two foot long spears of flowers. So I wanna try to take that structure and the blueberry terps and the haze headiness and kind of capture it all in one project. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. That's going to be a pretty long, drawn-out project. And then there's the, the Fruity Pebble OG Mint Chocolate Chip Cross I was telling you about a little while ago to try to get that Fruity Pebble cereal milk into one sort of finished cross that's not just a rip-off of exotic genetics mint chocolate chip because I, I don't want to be out there spreading around somebody else's work when it's not what they wanted it to be. He obviously selected for gassier stuff and I'm trying to get away from that and get into this candied fruit milk cream sort of thing. So I want to be sure to outcross that and and give it a new identity so that it's not confused in the future because I, I just don't want to do that to somebody else. I'd hate if somebody did that to me. So there's there's that one I'm pretty excited about too. And 
Jeez, let's see. Just recently I landed an old train wreck cut. And I landed the old SOG cut of the Super Silver Haze. And landed the Triangle Kush. So I'm not really sure where I'm going with those ones yet, but I, I might do something with them. I might not. There's also the Topanga Canyon Pure Kush that I might play with a little bit. Um, kind of curious about putting something onto one of the two and then getting the Triangle Kush and the Topanga Canyon Pure Kush into the same three-way blend. I just don't know what to use for pollen yet. Um, and then the rest of it is, is trying to get into these land races that I have. I have some old um, Brothers of Eternal Love Oaxacan from the 80s that I need to finish open pollinating, but I'm trying to get my hands on the one again, Clackamas Duke the one, which is a, it's a tie stick female crossed to a Kandahar Afghani male from Brothers of Eternal Love. So I wanna make a Brothers of Eternal Love three-way cross with the one as the mom and this Oaxacan pollen as the male pollen donor and, um, see what comes of that to try to keep brothers of eternal love with brothers of eternal love and uh just kind of pay homage to where this is all you know where this is all coming from part of it is um that you know i got my start by reading about coot and i got my start running his mix and i've listened to every word that i found that he said so i i just kind of want to respect the man by trying to put this blend together and keeping it brothers of eternal love and not introducing anything else to it. And see what happens. I don't know if it'll be worthy of a back cross to the one. I don't know if it'll just stand alone by itself. Um, but I'm really interested to see where that goes just from a historical perspective because there are all those old school lines. So I know you were asking me about, you know, what, what ladies am I interested in, but the ladies that I'm interested in are because of what I want to do with them. So thanks for letting me wax on about projects because that's, that's really where my passion is. It's really, the ladies are fun, but it's all about, you know, the next generation, both in the seeds and in the people. I want to be able to leave things behind for the next generation. And I want to be able to create these new blends of sometimes throwback genetics. No, I appreciate the fact that, uh, you know, you have a little bit of vision and foresight to where you want to cross stuff with and you're not necessarily getting one and uh, smacking everything in the garden with it and moving on. It seems like you've already had insight in pairing them up before, as, before or as you collect them, uh, you've already oh, this one's going here, that one's going there. You know, got a good idea of what you want to do with them. And that old Hawking, man, that, I grew that, uh, what was it, Uva is uh, old Hawking Tense Corkle from uh, the Dank there. That thing threw three-foot colas. You know what I mean? And every time, they were just massive, long, 
almost look like ball bats, but they, you know, definitely a high yielder every time with that old hawk in hand. So you you get that, you end up crossing with that. Expect some just giant, giant colas and a nice yielding strain for sure. Very little leaf. I mean, it was like, it was like pretty much de-leaf and hang. I mean, that was almost a trimming to it right there. Just, you know, it was a pleasure to grow. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for for some of that cross. And that's kind of what I'm hoping for that blueberry haze deal too. It's, you know, just de-leaf and hang and just these baseball bats, what I call them. Just, just massive colas of flower from, you know, long as your arm kind of thing. Um, and then the land races that I've gathered is a whole nother snowball. That'll be fun too. But as far as the clones that I've got, I, there's a couple I know what I want to do with and a couple I've, I've got mostly because they're, they're older and um, things need to be preserved, but I just haven't found the right haven't found the right pollen yet for those projects so i'm not sure i'm not sure what to do i, I haven't figured it out yet um i was able to scoop up some in that same auction i was talking about the fire relief auction a couple years ago i scored some of mean jeans uh lime pop five which i couldn't tell you off the bat right now what the cross is because he's got some pretty Thoroughly mixed genetics, but um, I scored F2s off of somebody who is now a friend of mine, and we met through that auction. And I've got a couple of those going. They're just they're just seedlings, but I'm I'm excited to kind of that is one that I'm gonna kind of smatter on everything and just see what sticks. But I might use that as a pollen donor for the, the train wreck and the Topanga and the TK and, and just see what happens. Um, so there is a little bit of smattering, but it's not, it's not crazy. I try to try to create a game plan. You know, you gotta plan the work and then work the plan kind of thing. But there are a couple that I just, I don't know what to do with yet. So it's, it's either that things are going to speak to me or I'm going to smatter them and something might work. I can't really force it. So if nothing works, nothing works. But um, there is a little bit of, of I don't know in the air still. You know? We'll see. I'm, I might not even get to those because I've been trying to get to these land race projects for so long that I'm getting antsy. I can't wait. can't wait forever, man, you know. As you know, might as well dive in, man. Yeah. It's good yeah, that you at least acquired them. You know, that's half the battle. Even if you're not ready to work with them, you've got some of the things that you know you want to work with anyway. Yeah, and then, you know, I've got some work from some friends that I respect that I want to hold on to their genetics and keep their stuff alive and you know, sub was kind of a wake-up call for me because you never know when somebody's going to take a downturn. And their genetics are sometimes the only thing you have left 
to remember them by. So the last thing I want to do is have these genetics that my friends have given me and then leave them in the stash blocks for so long that when I get to them, they're no good. Um, but I don't know, you know, I, I kind of got to see what's there to see what they match with. There's a bunch of them are polyhybrids in themselves and I don't know if they're going to be the right, you know, if they're going to feel right to put on some of these clones. But the whole goal is to get to a point where I feel like I can let the clones or a majority of the clones go. I think I'll always hold on to the old ones, but um, more some more mundane ones or some of the ones that I've chose out of packs myself, like the, the C Banana S1. I want to get to the point where I can let stuff like that go because I know I have something like it in the seed in my stash box. And if I ever want to go down that, that alley again, I can. But I also need to free the room up in my veg tent so I can get to these these land race projects that are going to be enhanced. So it's kind of a it's a juggling act, but I'm trying to move out some of the old to bring in some of the new old, I guess, you know, old in a different sense. It's hard too. I was uh, talking with somebody the other day. Uh, they were talking about they were all on the first rounders again. And I thought, oh, oh, that's the toughest round right there. Is, you know, now you've got a, you popped everything. Now you've got decisions to make. You know, you've taken cuts of like everything because you don't know what you want to keep. So you got, you know, it can be a stressful time when you have a bunch of first rounders in the house. Yeah. What goes, what stays. Did I did I take cuts of that? Oh no! Am I gonna have to revenge that? Uh, yeah. And then it, so that's it, what I'm kind of saying, man. Get to work, man. That pheno hunt can be, it can be work, man. Times, <laughs> times are wasted, man. Yeah, I, I hear you. And the seeds, you know, they don't last forever either. Um. And it, it sucks too when you run a you run a whole batch of first timers and nobody's any good. You're like, now I got all this bunk. I don't. What do I do now? And I just let go of some good. Like, talk about shooting yourself in both feet and trying to walk a mile. Like, what 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 did I do that for? So, I, I definitely want to try to get through some of it before I let all of them go because obviously I've kept some of these for a reason you know they, they gotta be some kind of good but uh i do need the room too so i'm trying to thread the needle per se uh, it's, a, it's a tough game because it doesn't matter how much square footage you got it's never enough especially for pheno hunts it's, it's never enough no it's not you know I, i'll never be done popping beans looking for that that beautiful cut there that one would, might be around forever there's just so many different combinations so many terpenes so many different combinations of uh cultivars i don't think i'll ever be done chasing the flavors i'll just yeah. be taking a uh, one amazing journal of you know flavors i've grown over the years that i'll be able to look back on all happy <laughs> especially if you got the memory at 
bottom of the road, you know. You can still remember. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And you, last thing I want to do is get my journal and read it and be like, I really, I wrote that down? I, it sure would be nice to remember that, but as long as I can remember it, it would be a whole lot of fun. I just hope I don't get, you know, the Alzheimer's or something when it's all said and done. Shit, I, I'm still like I can I can flame down my Instagram. Hopefully, my Instagram or some one of my accounts will manage to make it through the test of time. Uh, as I fling down my Instagram, I'm still doing that. You know, oh, I remember when I grew that. I totally forgot that one, and I did remember that strain, by the way. And uh, Sun Grown Seven Oh Seven was talking in chat, and I seen him talking about a strain, and I was like. Thank you. If that strain, that other strain that I was talking about was Raspberry Smash, or uh, it was Raz, which was Raspberry Smash times Raspberry Smash from Heroes of the Farm, and it was a limited release. And that was the other one, the Java Pie and the Raspberry Smash, which you wouldn't figure from a strain named uh, Raz, and that was named out of, uh, you know, Raspberry Smash. There, you'd expect Raspberry, right? You know, right. no, that it was fruity pebbles, fruity pebbles all the way. But oh, uh, you know, uh, amazing strain nonetheless. And uh, yeah, them two right there, both the Java Pie and the Raz, both were just amazing yielders. Both of them fruity pebbles, like you'd never believe. I had one one strain, the uh, Skunk Punch from Medgore One. That was like a. Uh, like a uh, like a juicy fruit, like a juicy fruit gum. It had the very same profile of the stick of juicy fruit gum, and uh, that was one of the few one one profile that I hadn't come across yet, and one I still haven't come across since was that juicy fruit, but uh, super tasty. Hmm. Huh. The one that's always intrigued, I guess, one of the ones that's always intrigued me. You just reminded me of it. Brought up the juicy fruit because, like that, there's always people back in the day on the forums. They were always talking about uh, bubble gum, and the ones they would relate it to was like like big league chew bubble gum. And I'm like, really? But I, I've never had bubble gum. I I don't doubt them, but I've I've never had it. That's one I've always been interested oh, in. Oh yeah, I gotta um. I had a bummer, a bubble gum er, and I believe I got it from uh, Cincy Seeds. I want to say could have been Barney's. I'd have to look it up for you. I run so many. I'm up like around the 400 mark right now. I gotta go through and look through them books because there's a lot of that. I will. I look through the one book which takes me back I, when I said. I got to look at my book. I grabbed this little book, which takes me back you know, about four years to look for that strain. And as I was pumping through that book, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that strain. <laughs> but there's it, another book behind, uh, buried back behind where I couldn't reach. And it's in the Raz was in that book. But yeah, here's a, I have a couple books full of just strains I've kept notes on, some that made it longer than others. But, uh, the two test books right there. Everything goes in the, the two books. Well, the second version now. 
I actually decided to go to hard copy because the the original journal was like just like one of them like I'd like a journal you know what I mean it has the black cover and it's you know it's mm-hmm. really flimsy that thing is so after 20 years of it and written on and carried around that thing just looks like it could be a, a relic man you don't even want to touch it you're afraid the papers are all gonna fall apart but I, I refuse to throw it away it has so much memory for me and everything that's in there is just uh, it's like a time capsule i try not to touch it any more than i have to because it's in such brittle shape it's been wet you know what i mean there's been nudes dumped on it it's been in the grow room forever forever yeah but yeah i decided when that thing filled up to go hard hard cover to help me <laughs> save my memories yeah it's probably a good choice too, especially in the grow room because you never know you never know what'll get on it it's important though to keep those records yeah because you certainly can't remember it all there's no way and i just got uh, asked yesterday to be a tester for another good friend of mine and it was like he was like you want to do some testing for me and i was like are you fucking kidding me give me them fucking things uh yeah i'm so i'm not gonna i'm not even gonna announce it until i'm ready to announce it but yeah definitely got some new projects coming along on top of some of the testing that i'm doing i've been a tester for med grower one ocean grown yeah. sub cool for years and a lot of other breeders and uh somebody that i'm in the community that i've been a friend friend and respected for for a long time hit me up and i took yesterday and I, like i said i was like fuck yeah i can't believe it took me so long but yeah <laughs> <laughs> definitely gonna be some new fun fire coming through that's cool man that'll be exciting for sure just to switch it up a little bit and get somebody else's take on on this plant you know um yeah that's, that's always exciting i've done a little bit of testing here and there but not not for anybody that i would want to announce or for anybody that would want me to announce them so i'll hold off on name dropping but i have done a little bit of testing myself it's it's fun i guess i, I guess there is one i could name off and uh, he's out in your neck of the woods uh kinetic genetics is uh pretty good friend of mine and uh i've got two keepers from some testing i did for him that are they're pretty nice i've got a um he had the old monkey paw clone and he hit it with a variety of males one of them was uh a line he's got called keith's cherry kush and that's the cherry pheno of AK-47 pollinated by alien kush. So he took that combo and then put it on the monkey paw clone, which is another older clone from out, out near way. And then the other one. Oh, I remember is, the monkey paw. Yeah, it's, I haven't had her, but I think this other one called the uh, brutal paw that I have She's really cat pissy, really ammonia, really makes you like wrinkle your nose when you smell her. And she's a monkey paw 
clone with uh, Katsu Bubba Deep Chunk male pollen. And uh, she's not Katsu Bubba or Deep Chunk. She's some cat pissy, like acidic, pungent sort of thing, which could only be the monkey pod of all three of those. So. Uh, she's a lot of fun, but I, I did some testing for him on those two lines. And um, the the cherry paw line was really weird. I, I wasn't the only one, but a couple of us testers ended up seeing that the um, the males had like auto flower traits. They would they would trigger flowering over you know the wind blowing the wrong way. Um, so he didn't end up putting that line out, but uh, I'm lucky enough to have a keeper lady from that that project of his, and I have old uh, cherry bomb seeds from Mr. Green Jeans. It's his 1979 Maui Wowie IBL, and the keepers out of that are uh, they're a metallic cherry profile with then the plants have these vividly pink pistols so i think i'm going to end up popping some of the cherry bomb and putting it on the cherry paw to see what happens i might have the uh the cherry pie lady might make an appearance again in the near future i'm not really sure yet we'll see but I might be able to do the cherry or the cherry pie. That's what I said, right? Cherry pie lady might be coming back around. And I might be able to hit her with the the cherry bomb pollen as well. So I might have some cherry terps in the works in the future, which will be a lot of fun because that cherry bomb is a lot of fun to grow. Do you find, uh, somebody in chat once was asking, do you find uh, the cherry has uh, CBD in it? Um, I know the cherry pie is not very, very CBD rich. Not not in the same sense that the pina that I have is. It's, it's not frustrating to smoke. I still get high from the cherry pie. And you definitely get high from the cherry paw. Um, it's high in Marcium, isn't it? The cherry, the cherry is. With the cherry bomb, that old nine, 79 Maui Wowie, I never really ran a whole lot of it since Amiya. I just tried to get the open pollination done on it. Um, so the, the memory of it's really short. I don't, I don't really remember. I don't think it was very CBD-like, or Mr. Green Jeans wouldn't have really kept it from 79 to, you know, the early 2000s when he was missing for a few years. Um, I don't think it would have lasted the test of time if it was a CBD-rich strain. But... Um, I, I didn't smoke a whole lot of it before I let it go because I was on to the next open pollination round, which was some white rhinos. So I was pretty excited about those. So I didn't I didn't hold it around for very long. 
but there's definitely a handful of people that are flowering it out right now that are getting ready to harvest right now um, from seeds that passed out after the open pollination. And I will look to uh, see what they say for sure. Because they'll, they'll definitely have a better sense of it than I will. I just was trying to, it's kind of freaking out because I had a couple packs of the cherry bomb and the germination was hit or miss. So I hit up a couple friends that I knew had packs of it too. And they sent me their packs and I popped those and between 40 or 50 seeds, I managed to get 15 or 16 of them to, to uh, sexing age. And then I put them into flower to do the open pollination and the pill bugs actually ate a couple of them, like totally ate them up. And I went from 15 or 16 down to 13, which ended up being 11 males and two boys. So out of all that effort, I was just in such a hurry to get the open pollination done because I wanted to be able to get back more seeds than my friends sent me. I didn't want to I didn't want to be that guy, you know, I didn't want to say I was trying to do this work and drop the ball and then not be able to give them anything back. Um, so I, I was so overworked by trying to make sure that the open pollination happened that by the time it was over, I was glad it was over and I was ready to move on to the next thing because it was nerve wracking. So I, I didn't really hold on to any of those, but I did manage to make quite a bit of the next generation which that line's kind of funny because we don't really know what generation it is they, the the documentation got muddled somewhere along the way but it's it's north of the 25th generation like it's it's definitely what people would consider an ibl but it hasn't been bottlenecked so of the 11 ladies that I had, the, the winners are this metallic cherry profile with pink pistols. And of the 11, only two of them had the pink pistols and the metallic cherry profile. There was four ladies that were metallic cherry and there was four ladies that were pink pistols, but only two of them had both. So there was still plenty of green ladies and there was still plenty of other expressions but the metallic cherry pink pistol ladies were present they were two of 11 so it's 20 18 percent you can't do the math anymore. two of 11 is 18 yeah 18 percent not bad for a guess dude. um So they're, they're still there. And then I sent out pretty large packs to a handful of people and gifted some packs on top of that. So there's quite a few people that are actually growing them this year and I'll, I'll uh, have to report back on what they say, if there's any CBD in there or not. Cause that was, that was the original question before I got the bumbling. But um, we'll see, I, I'm excited to find out too.
so uh what are uh what's the garden looking like these days i don't think we've hit on actually what you've got in there i mean we've talked about clones but i don't think uh we've talked about actually what's what's what what's actually like in the garden you know flowering currently did did we discuss that um right now i've got a couple so i've got the two flower tents and they're offset by a month so when the one tent's at four weeks the other one is just getting started and then they they um offset on the harvest so i harvest something just about every month and i'm just getting ready to finish up a run of a bunch of the clones i brought in lately and a couple of keepers so i've got the the sea banana s1 is in there there's two of those there's two of the fruity pebble ogs then there's the uh, Super Silver Haze, the old Sog Cut. And then there's Stardog Cory. I forgot to mention her earlier. And then in the front row, I got three rows of three. In the front row is Topanga Canyon, Pier Kush, Cherry Paw in the middle, and my Pina F3 Keeper on the side. And those are just what six weeks in something like that so the other tent is week two and that's got oh let's see if i can remember all of these that's got the the lemon hoko blueberry the blueberry blast another sea banana the brutal paw. And then I ran through a pack of, so I actually did drop the ball on this one. I got a pack of what's called Charlie Pure Kush, which is uh, Topanga Canyon Pure Kush crossed to an Afghani. And I got those from a friend and I was supposed to make the next generation. But along the way, I lost a few of them because I had a rough year, like I was mentioning earlier. And I lost a couple of the clones in between not being able to water and them not, not cloning. They wouldn't, they wouldn't root for me because they were in such poor health, I couldn't get the, the clones to strike. Um, so I ended up with three females of Charlie Pure Kush. One came out really purple and is kind of an, an outlier or a throwback. And then the other two are pretty, pretty green phenos that stretched a little bit more and had a little higher yield. So I, I favored one of the green ones and then kept the purple one because she's pretty interesting. So I have the the number two and the number five, which is the green one and the purple one. Those are both in there. And I'm still missing a couple. 
I'm pretty sure there's another pina in there. I can't recall the other one or two that are in there though. So there's there's a nice variety of things. Um, a little bit all over the board. I'm testing some of those new clones that I have, and then I'm still trying to to make sure that the ones that I still have are are up to par because I went through the the whole fiasco of throwing the old soil out, bringing the new soil in. So I'm trying to make sure that I'm I'm on the mark and things are what they used to be and. There's, there's a good mixture, though, of, of mostly fruits. It was really weird because I didn't try to do that, but it seems to be how it's working. The, the system is really fruit-heavy right now. It happens. It definitely happens. <laughs> and it's just like you say, you look back and you go, fuck, I, I've got, just like I said tonight, fuck, I, I got fuck four strains of orange going. Great. <laughs> yeah yeah i got what did i say blueberry banana cherry pineapple and then the the fruity pebble og is kind of fruity pebbles and the milk i keep mentioning but it's all i would consider all those pretty fruity that's five i think i counted off Well, you want to walk us through uh, maybe some of your gardening uh, techniques and maybe hand out some tips? So I'm getting ready. I've been using this, the Aero Cloner, and I'm, I'm kind of like a pendulum, man. I kind of go on the bottle and then off the bottle. Um, and I, I go on the bottle out of, out of necessity. and when I'm trying to get off the bottle, it, it's because it's bothering me of being on the bottle. So I'm trying to get away from everything that's a purchased product is what I mean by the bottle. And I've been using the Aero Cloner and I've been using what's called the, the Griffin's Tech method, which involves um, Clonex and uh, UC Roots and Hormex. And it's, it does a really good job. I'm not knocking the process at all. It does a really good job. But I'm tired of buying products to make the garden go around. And I've got too much knowledge. And now that I'm graduated, I got too much time to really be putting myself in a situation where I need to buy all these bottles. So Coot has a cloning gel that he makes with aloe vera gel that you can buy at the store again trying to get off the bottle but it's hard to find aloe vera where i live and he takes that gel it's inner fillet gel not the juice when you look at the lily of the valley brand which is the one that he he uh believes in they've got the highest quality product out there he takes that and he mixes in a tablespoon of kelp and I believe it's a quarter teaspoon of fulvic acid. And he lets it sit for on, on the counter for a day to rehydrate the kelp. And then he puts it back in the bottle and he uses that 
to dip his clones in. Back in the day, I used to just, I have aloe plants, but they're not in their natural environment. So they don't grow as quick as they should naturally. But um, back in the day, I would just take a leaf off and I would dip the clone right in the end of the leaf so that it came out all goopy and put it in the soil. And I had great results. But I want to get a little fancier than that now that I understand salicylic acid and a couple other of these, these rooting compounds. And I want to take aloe either from my plants or if I don't have them, you can sometimes find the really long fronds at the store for a couple of bucks. And they'll, they'll come from like New Mexico or Arizona or something like that. They're only like three bucks. And with that much aloe, you could make enough cloning gel to make probably a thousand cuts. So I want to take that aloe and the kelp like he was suggesting, but I want to mix it with um, some honey. So I've got to do some experiments on how what the ratios are between the aloe and the honey to get the right consistency that I'm looking for and then use the kelp meal because it has rooting hormones in it as well. And between the aloe and the kelp, you get, it's either two of the three rooting hormones or all three of the rooting hormones, I can't remember. But it should be more efficient, more effective, not more efficient, but more effective than just using the aloe by itself and use that combination to get back to cloning in a more natural and a more cost-effective method as opposed to buying a bunch of bottles and doing all of that. I'm going to try to forego the fulvic acid because I don't want to have to buy the bottle again. Um, but when I get that figured out and I get it to a point where I'm comfortable with it, I will definitely be sharing that ratio so that people can do that themselves to see if I can help other people get off the bottle as well and still have a decent cloning mix that's reliable. You would have to keep it in the fridge, but that's about the only catch. Um, aside from that, I, I totally believe in the blue mats as far as um, keeping the moisture of the, the soil. What's the word I'm looking for? consistent, keeping it in the right window of not too dry, not too wet. Um, and then a lot of what I do just has to come back down to the, the whole guilt I was talking about earlier about trying to maximize your, your quality while minimizing your stress on the rest of life's infrastructure, the bottles, the electricity, the water, the, um, the, the amount of ingredients that you need to make the world go around. I'm trying to get back to things I can buy in bulk bags because the cost is less. You can get them from actual agricultural stores as opposed to a hydro shop. 
Um, I'm trying to get away from things that are marketed specifically towards cannabis growers because everything that they do that for has what I call a cannabis markup. They think we've all got, you know, pushing money. Like we're all making these thousands of dollars off of what we're doing. And I'm trying to grow medicine for me. I'm not making anything. So I have a really hard time trying to invest in that mentality when they think that I'm not who I am, that I'm some traditional market salesman and market salesman and I'm not. Um, so I'm trying to get back to real agriculture and, and understand, I would encourage anybody doing this sort of soil-based growing to do it by soil tests, to do it with legitimate labs, um and not fly by night with us with a soil mix that just recommends that you add this much of this and that much of that without any thought to your starting like your starting ingredients your starting materials because those materials are are locally different from somebody like your locality is different than my locality. So what you get for compost is going to be different in ratios than what I get for compost. So to say that we both need to add the same things is the wrong way to look at the philosophy. And to go back to soil tests and understand where your soil is at and where you want it to go and have that deeper connection with the numbers as well as with the system is is going to work out better in the long run. Um, so it's a lot of little things like that. There's not any real like big secrets that I can reveal. It's just to think about you know your the stress that you put on the, on the larger economy system. Like how far did these things have to travel? How much, how much gas was involved? What kind of plastic packaging are you consuming and throwing away at the end of the day? How much electricity are you using? Um, that, you know, it's, it's those little things and kind of voting with your dollar and making sure that you can get to a place where you're more self-sustainable. That's really the end goal is to be as, as self-sustainable as possible. Um, and not rely on somebody else to make that magic bottle for you. So it's, it's, it's just a more holistic game that I play. And I've got a whole philosophy on where, like there's what I'm doing now and it works for me for now, but I have a whole philosophy on where I'm trying to go with this that's even more holistic than what I think most people are doing. Even, um, I don't even think a lot of commercial operations are really taking it to the level that I'm, I'm going to take it as far as getting away from inputs that are not something you've created. You know, they're, they're still bringing inputs in from outside of the system. And I'm working towards a philosophy that's, that's just the system feeding the system. Um, 
there's always going to be a few things that I have to buy, like light bulbs. If I can't grow outside in the greenhouse or outside, period, then I'm I'm stuck buying light bulbs. Um, if my blue mats die, I'm stuck buying blue mats. But outside of those absolute necessities, I'm trying to get away from the rest of it and close the loop for 95% of the system. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of cute where I'm at right now, but it's not where I'm aiming to be. I'm always looking forward and always shooting for a, a better, a more holistic system where I, I can actually sleep better at night because I know I'm doing everything I can to rely on myself as opposed to relying on the economy. Um, yeah, so I, I guess it's really hard for me to come up with tips and tricks of where I'm at now because I don't feel like where I'm at now is where I should be because I have this, this, I'm looking forward. I have this goal that I'm shooting for. And that's more of a, It's just, I don't know any other word than holistic. I guess that's why I keep using it. But um, it's, I'm, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm on enough land and I've got enough space that being herbalism trained like I am, I can grow enough of a variety of plants that I'm able to make nutrients pesticides, um, fungicides, I'm able to make environments for predators and for pollinators and for to like really bolster the local environment to the point that it, it can kind of reach an equilibrium. And I don't have to try so hard. Um, because I'm not, every time, every time you try to alter something or take something away, humans are really good at creating gaps. And when you create a gap in a human built ecology, nature is going to put something in that gap. And if what nature puts in that gap, is not something that that farmer finds enjoyable, then you've really only got rid of one problem to create another. You haven't really got anywhere. So the object is to get to a point where the, the system bigger than just the medicine reaches a state of equilibrium that even when you plant the, the tree or take the tree out, that equilibrium isn't shooken enough to really care. So I'm trying to get on some acreage. This is my, my long-term goal here. This is what I would, I would really be able to give people a, 
a goal to reach or this is where the tidbits really lie because this is what I really define as as the upper echelon when you're kind of doing it right is to get on enough land where you can grow other crops. Say you have a greenhouse where you grow your cannabis. But outside of that greenhouse, you can grow herbs, vegetables, fruits, including trees and brambles. Um, you can grow, you can keep honeybees, you can keep mason bees, you can plant milkweed for the monarch butterflies, you can grow herbs for both medicine for the man, but also medicine for the system. You can have your compost piles, you can have your worm bins, you can have your, your little fermentation set up uh, where you do things like KNF and Jadam and you can have all of these little components where you can maybe incorporate chickens or turkeys or ducks or rabbits or sheep or pigs or cattle or whatever your attraction is to some sort of a livestock that that will also help this system re revolve around itself and you can have banker plants and trap plants and you can really set up this larger ecology that your garden that your medicine lives in. so that I'm glad you brought them up because i was going to ask you about your thoughts on banker and companion plants uh, yeah there's i've i've noticed listening to since this cold covid thing starts we've all got ample free time a lot of us do and there's people that fall all over the spectrum on this this thing some people think they don't exist some people swear by them i'm more in the camp of the people that swear by them than i am the camp that thinks they don't exist makes complete sense to me complete sense yeah if you know enough about the environment and plants and soil and yada yada you, there is going to be some some version of it that rings true and I've seen the studies myself about, in particular, the, the explosive ember pepper plant. That's one variety of peppers I swear by. And it's not because they're edible, because they're actually considered an ornamental, but they are the number one source for the husbandry of predator mites. And it gets really interesting because these ornamental peppers have been bred. The, the explosive ember just happens to be the most nutritious for the predatory mite. But they've been bred to have their fruits above the leaves. They actually will stick the peppers upside down at the top of the plant and they'll grow upside down peppers. And they're a variety of colors. They're really kind of pretty if you consider how ugly some ornamentals are. That's just my own personal opinion. Don't take it as fact. But I, I just don't find some ornamentals to be very attractive at all. Um, but these pepper plants are unique because predatory mites, in the sense of, of russet mites and broad mites, 
russet mites and broad mites go for the the apical meristems, the, the growing tips of your plants. They they like to go chew on the growing tips, and they they live in the the folds of all the little leaves that are trying to open up on these growing tips. And predatory mites have learned to hunt those apical meristems, those those tops of the plants. So when you have these predatory mites needing an extra source of nutrition, it's kind of quaint that you would have the flowers on the apical tips of the plants, which is where the peppers form at the top of the plants. So the, the predatory mites are, are naturally going to go to the same region that you're supplying them a natural source of food. And if they don't find something to eat on, like a broad mite or a russet mite, they're gonna find the pollen of the flowers. And peppers are special because they also have what are called extra floral nectaries. And they have these little secretion spots where they, they let out a nectar. So, which is the other half of the diet for these predatory mites. They need pollen, but they need nectar as well. So the pepper plant is unique in that it supplies both. The explosive ember pepper plant is really unique in that the pollen is highly nutritious for the predatory mite, and so is the nectar. So they're living in what is a, a banker plant of the, the actual definition of it because these predatory mites are actually able to live off of the pollen and the nectar of the pepper plant without having a broad mite or a russet mite around to sustain them. Um, it's, it's really a, a beautiful system. So if you can keep these pepper plants, now pepper plants are kind of like tomatoes and kind of like cannabis in that when they get to a certain age, they start to flower. And unlike cannabis they're not photoperiod sensitive so once they start to flower they're going to keep flowering as long as they're alive like a tomato it's just going to keep flowering if you live in a tropical sort of area and your tomato hits that age where it starts to make tomatoes guess what as long as that tomato plant's alive you're going to have tomatoes same thing with a pepper plant so if you have a pepper plant outside and winter's coming take cuttings off your pepper plant make sure they're clean um, and put them in a greenhouse or put them in your grow room or put them in a place where you don't mind something like a predatory mite being. So not necessarily on your window seal of your kitchen, but somewhere where you've got other plants, a sunroom, a greenhouse is really perfect, a grow tent and they will keep flowering. They'll keep providing extra floral nectaries. And if you had predatory mites on that plant and you brought them with you, they will sustain those predatory mites. And you can keep that plant going throughout the winter when in the next spring, you've kind of got the jump on things because you can take that already flowering plant back outside and it will already have the pollen and the nectar generated so that the predatory mites can get a population built up before the pests show. Um, 
so it's, it's really like the ideal um, banker plan. The other part to the predatory mites that some people sometimes find fascinating is they are also able to live on cattail pollen. And cattails are pretty widely distributed. But um, if you're able to collect the pollen and dry it similar to a cannabis pollen, you can then feed that pollen to those same predatory mites in the off season or when there's a lack of, of prey. And that will help to sustain them as long as you can give also give them a um, like a sugary, you know, you got to simulate a nectar, a sugary solution. And you can kind of baby them along and use that as supplemental feeding if you don't have the explosive ember pepper plants going. Um, there's other plants that will create habitat for um, parasitic wasps and ladybugs and praying mantises even, just like the milkweed is good for the monarch butterfly. These, these different insects all have their, their preference of plants that they like to live on. I'm still working on diving deeper into that world. So the explosive ember pepper plant and predatory mites is really the best example that I have, but those other relationships exist. So if you can build a robustness into the system, you can really start to, to foster or husband these, these various predatory insects in your system and some of those plants are perennials and some of those plants are annuals, but the annuals, if they're in a happy place, should reseed themselves and come back the next year. So you, you can really build a, a thorough ecosystem if you do it right. And then trap plants are plants that pests are attracted to. So it's not, it's a lot of people think about trap plants as being like, like you're going to eat this plant instead of eat my cannabis. And that's not really, it's not really how it works. Um, it's kind of true, but cannabis is such an appetizing crop to so many different insects that trap plants are more about identification so if you are growing say marigolds for instance um it's not that the aphids are going to go eat your marigolds and stay off of your cannabis it's just that if you see the aphids on your marigolds spray your cannabis um so it's more of like a a quick, you know, it's like an alarm button. If you see them on that particular tramp, trap plant, then there is a worry to be had about them being on your actual crop. So in vineyards, they'll have acres and acres and acres of grapes. 
but at the end of every row, they'll have a rose bush. And one of the worries in grapes is the, the fungi, powdery mildew, downy mildew, botrytis, that sort of thing. But roses are more susceptible to that than the grapes are. So you'll see that the fungus shows up on the roses before it shows up on the grapes. So if you're ever getting ready to go walk down the um, sun ground might be right. It might have been spider mites I was thinking about and not aphids. But um, with the marigolds. But if you go to walk down your row of, of grapes and you notice that this particular rose bush is infected with powdery mildew or infected with botrytis, then there's, there's cause to inspect the grapes around it because you know that that mold is in that area. Um, so it's, it's, it's like an early warning indicator sort of thing. It's not really that that uh, you're you're not really providing like a lamb to the flock, you know, to the herd of lions. Instead of you know, you're not you're not saying go eat this instead of eat my good stuff. It's really that you're getting a, an early warning system on what's in that locality to inspect what's around it and make sure that you minimize your losses. And then companion plants are plants that interact with each other. So legumes are a really good example of a companion plant because they have nitrogen fixing rhizobacteria on their roots. And they make those nodules that I'm sure most of us have heard about that are full of nitrogen and legumes are like peas, beans. Um, those are really the best examples. Peas are the ones that always come to mind, but they'll have those nodules that when that plant is done living, and as long as you leave those roots in the ground, those nitrogen fixing bacteria that make the nodules will then release that nitrogen or be degraded by other microbes in the system to make that nitrogen available to other plants. And there has to be some level of communication that goes on there, but it's not immediate. The other sort of example I can provide for that companion plant concept is really trees, um, like like pine trees, like real trees. They've found in certain places where, like like trees have a memory per se. There will be a mother mother tree that. So in one instance, maybe the mother tree fell over and 
eventually becomes partially buried, completely buried as the, the earth moves. And it will give rise directly out of it to what looks like a row of daughter trees or, you know, second generation trees. And they're really just the living remains of that mother tree. But in other instances, there will be a grouping of trees and loggers will come in and they'll cut one of them down. And the trees have a relationship through their roots connected sometimes, most times by a, a mycorrhizal fungi that the trees around the, the tree that was cut down will actually keep that cut down tree alive by sacrificing nutrients to that tree, even though that tree can't give anything back. And they will do it for long enough that that tree is actually able to sprout new growth. Sometimes that tree never sprouts new growth and you'll just find that the trees around it are just keeping it alive. They're just feeding it. It's, it's, it has no photosynthetic ability, but it's not rotting either. And this can go on for years. And that's, that's kind of the companion planting situation is that you have this communication going on in the roots where they, they rely on each other and they feed each other. And sometimes it goes both directions where they'll have a, a, an exchange, but sometimes it'll go unidirectional and the living trees will feed the dead tree stump and just keep it alive. Um, so to the, the people that don't believe in companion plants or don't believe in that concept, I, I don't have large issue with it because we're all entitled to our opinions, but there's enough evidence out there of these sorts of relationships happening that there's, it's not a wild stretch of the imagination to see how this could play out in a smaller system like a garden. There's obviously going to be more fragility to it when you're talking about smaller plant forms, um, possibly even annuals. Annuals are obviously going to have a harder time because these connections take time to generate and annuals might not be around long enough to, to create that back and forth sort of highway of exchange. So they're gonna be more like the legume status where they, they do something while they're alive and then they provide something while they're, after they're gone. Um, similar, like, like another one I can think of is a daikon radish. It doesn't really provide anything to anybody that I know of while it's alive. But if you don't pick the radish, so daikon radishes get two feet, two and a half feet long and they can get pretty thick. And um, they provide these, these channels for air and water when they're gone. But 
if you don't if you don't pick them, then that same radish also will be able to decompose, and those starches and other compounds that are within that radish will be microbial food for worms, and you'll actually find it to be this big tube of almost earthworm castings because they they just come and eat it up and it'll turn into a, a tube of nutrition whereas if you pull it you get this tube of air and water exchange um sometimes you'll find wildlife will pull them out and eat them so it's, it's not just the human that can do it but there's there's other animals in the system that will pull these out and leave those tubes but you know they'll pull some and leave others where a human would go in and pull everybody because we're worried about the yield if that's what our crop is so nature has a way of making a more balanced system than we do in an agricultural sense because we'll harvest them all and make a bunch of tubes but then there's no there's none of those nutrient tubes there's nothing to decompose for this large gathering of life to come chew on all at once but that's sort of a companion concept because that's that's a large tuber that then provides life and nutrition for the plants around it after it's gone um so there's there's multiple facets and multiple ways to look at these sorts of ideas and it's kind of up to the gardener to be more or less I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, brother. I just don't want to sway you sway too far off this uh, companion plant before I get a, a chance to ask. But uh, so, what are you? What are your thoughts on uh, companion plants in the aspect of uh, turf profiles? Either you know strengthening them or changing them above or below the soil. I'm I'm in the camp that more like. We, I, I'm sure you've heard the, the story of um, Kyle Cushman's strawberry cough, right? You familiar with that yes, one? Sir. I'm about him growing it in a strawberry field, and that's why it's got strawberry flavors. Um, I'm not, I'm not really in that camp. Not to say that that doesn't happen, because I can see it, I can see it happening but I don't think so. My issue with that sort of a concept is the, the longevity of it. Um, it's not that crazy of an assumption to me to assume that you could plant something in a strawberry field. I'm talking like at least like an acre and you put this plant in the middle of it. So the only thing anywhere near and around it is exudates and microbial life attuned to strawberry plants. Um, for that particular plant, I don't see it being too far of a stretch of the imagination that it would have some strawberry influence. But to assume that you could take a cutting off of that plant that was influenced by that sort of a environment give it to somebody else and they go put it in their vegetable patch of broccoli or broccoli is kind of a bad example on what i know but kale 
and it still throws strawberry terpenes, even though it doesn't have the influence of the acre of strawberries, that's where it gets a little far-fetched for me because the persistence of those exudates and the persistence of that environment of the strawberry fields on that singular plant is going to create a certain amount of exchange that could lead theoretically could lead to strawberry terpenes but to then take that same plant and grow it in a different field where it no longer has that influence and assume it's still going to come out with strawberry terpenes is a that's where you lose me um i, I would think that once you removed the the constant input of the strawberry field that you would start to lose the strawberry terpenes. I kind of think to myself that, uh, you know, like you say, you can temporarily influence the flavor like that, maybe from the soil, but only temporary. And I guess in either aspect, uh, I believe the effects are temporary, just like you say. Uh, but again, I believe that they're there. Uh, so what are your thoughts about, and I guess, so that covers, covers us a little bit, pretty much, I guess, on the soil aspect of it, taking it up uh, through that way, through the field, and what's been there. But how do you feel about above ground, say, you know, uh, the plant, a plant sitting next to your cannabis plant and your cannabis plant not liking the terps or the smells coming off the plant next to it. So it's trying to like almost outdo its companion. Uh, you know what I mean? Increasing your turf profiles like that. You, what's your thoughts on uh, companion right. plants so that, being used it like that? Yeah, so that, that's the other side, the other end of the spectrum of this whole concept um, is kind of an agitation sort of where you're almost creating a, a certain amount of stress on the cannabis plant by putting it in a situation where the odds are sort of stacked against it. It might not be next to its favorite plant. It might not be next to something that's a companion, but more hostile. And the cannabis plant needs to needs to bolster itself in order to either stay alive or to thrive. Um, and that I, I'm really, as a, as a medicinal plant practitioner, I'm really more in, into micro-stressing than I am anything else. Um, when it comes to quality, I, I drive for quality. I don't drive for quantity. So I'm, I'm on board with that sort of a concept that you could create a situation where you create these stresses on the plant and that in the sacrifice for a little bit of yield will create a larger amount of secondary terpenes and the secondary, or not secondary terpenes, secondary metabolites. And the secondary metabolites are what the human body uses as medicine. So whether it's whether it's the plants it's surrounded with, or 
um, small doses of underwatering or overwatering, or an intentional defoliation like like herb herbivory on the plant that's going to stress it or like we were talking about earlier if i was able to grow outside this year that that wind stress um those are all situations that are going to increase secondary metabolites and you're going to lose a little bit of yield for one you know whatever the reason may be but the quality of the medicine that you get in the end is going to be greater than what you would have had you had your full yield. I think a lot of us spend so much time trying to trying to push this plant in a way that maximizes the yield and maximizes the THC that we really lose the roundness of the medicine. And with that, I over the years of my exposure to cannabis, I've noticed the high go from something that can really flatten somebody, really lay you out, put you on your back, really put you down two hits and you take a nap, like to something that's really, I refer to it as one dimensional. So very much one aspect of the high and nothing of the rest. Um, and that, that kind of bothers me that we've pushed this plant so hard in these particular directions, mostly for uh, yield and THC that we've lost so much of this other. So I'm sure, I don't know which plants it might be, but I'm sure there are plants out there that are antagonistic enough to cannabis that the cannabis won't die, but that it, it feels a certain amount of stress for its whole life. Um, I really think that finding some of those plants to create that sort of a situation is one of the, the keys we've yet to find to unlock ourselves into a, a better medicine. Um, I don't know of any plants, I haven't read any plants or I don't remember anything about antagonistic plants to cannabis in that low level regard that it doesn't kill the plant or it doesn't totally ruin the medicine. It doesn't totally ruin the plant. But um, I'm sure there are a few. I'm sure there are probably a dozen that are fairly easy to grow that we could create that sort of a situation with that would create those same sort of micro stresses that we can simulate with a drought or a flood or the wind or those other sorts of stresses I was mentioning. And for me, having gone through the herbalism program and understanding what secondary metabolites are to the plant, but also what they are to the human body, that it's, it's fine to me if you, not you, Eagle, but the metaphorical you, the, the producer that has to push out a certain amount of yield to make ends meet. Um, if that person has to push it to the limit, then I would suggest that they're, they're overextending themselves and that maybe they should grow more of less of, of a plant that's pushed less to achieve a higher quality if they still need a certain quantity. 
because I really think that those micro stresses and that sacrifice of that last, whether it be five or 10% of the, the available yield out of what you could get to bring that down a little bit, but raise the secondary metabolites is really a better medicine in the long run. Um, it's really gonna serve the, the user or the patient better than a larger bag of something that has less secondary metabolites. So that's, that's kind of where I come at odds with the people that are trying to do this to make their world go around because I really don't think they're doing it the right way. They have, they have their own situation in mind and not the community or the environment the environment being the bodies of the people that they're giving this to they're they're not considering it all um i, I really think those micro stresses are a good thing and the sacrifice of that last 10 percent of what would have been 100 percent yield to bring it down to 90 percent, but still get these increased secondary metabolites is it's better medicine it's it's, it's a healthier situation you're making the plant fight for itself. In, in herbalism, there's wildcrafted herb and then there's cultivated herb. And when it comes to selling in either crafted herb to a botanical company, if they're both quality herb, the wild crafted is always going to be preferred because those plants have been neither watered nor fertilized. They haven't been sprayed with pesticides. They haven't been coddled. So the, the tests have proven with, with many herbs that the secondary metabolites in wild crafted plants are higher than they are in the cultivated pampered plants. And I think we're just at the beginning of really proving this with cannabis, but because I've seen some of those lab reports and because I've seen, I've actually made medicine with wildcrafted plants and cultivated plants that I've seen the difference myself. Um, I, I, I know it as a fact, but it's not something that I can just lecture on and expect everybody to believe me. I'm not that naive, but I know in my heart that what I'm saying is what I believe to be the truth. And that's because I've seen it. There are rare instances of people doing it right, where they'll grow a plant slightly out of its perfect environment, but they'll grow it with the best of their agricultural knowledge. And even though it's not their preferred environment, they'll get a nice crop, but they'll still get that little bit of a boost of secondary metabolites because no matter what they could do agriculturally, that plant still stressed a little bit. Um, so I, finding some of that sort of stuff is kind of a sweet spot and unlocking some of those plants that are mildly antagonistic to cannabis is probably gonna be part of the Part of the, um, I think I, for me, 
I my sweet spot. We've talked about you know agnostic plants and stuff like that, and, and ways to you know get a little bit more out of your plant. I'm right there with you. I don't like to put anything extra into the plant than necessary, but I do like to stress the plant late, and I think uh, it, for me, I've noticed trichrome production and turf production from this. And is uh, I like to grow a little bit uh, bigger ladies, if you will, if, than most. And I like to grow them up with very little support. And I think as they come along, and I don't think this affects the yield much either because it's a more of a natural process than uh, I think any of the above. And that's letting the plant grow bigger girls like that, let them grow unsupported. And then as, you know, I, I don't even like to baby them. I don't even like to baby them. I like to, as they grow up and they, them limbs get fat and heavy, I like to I like to see them droop almost to the point where I've got to step in and catch them. That's where, yep, that's where I intervene before they snap. I'll, I, you know, kind of swoop in there and, you know, run a little line back up to the main stem there. You know, my girls, when I harvest them, boy, they're ugly. You'd be like, oh, man, this guy don't even know what the fuck he's doing, man. These things are ugly. But I've let them grow up like that and stress and flop like that. I've accounted for it. You know what I mean? And uh, they're always ugly. They're always ugly. Most people got, you know, sticks in there, bamboo. I don't, I'm not a fan of the scrogs. I tried them, you know. To those of you that's got it and got it mastered, hats off to you. Not my system. I like the big, like I said, big girls. I like them to flop down on themselves. And I find that uh, stress, uh, again, gets me some decent nugs uh, with high turf profiles. You know, I've always been happy with them big girls. So I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've just in my own experience, um, I found sometimes that skipping a watering on week five, week six. It, it depends on the plant though. Um, but somewhere in the week five, week six, some of them I do both weeks just to see what happens. I'll skip a watering. And um, I think that's, to me, it, it kind of times up with the late summer drought in what would be an outdoor setting. And then I like to lay the water back on through the end. Um, and then sometimes I'll skip a watering on the, the last week just to try to keep too much water weight from gaining. Because then I just have to turn around and dry it back out of the plant when I, when I chop them and hang them. But um, I like to do the week five or week six where you skip a water and they're almost starting to wilt by the time, because I'm using such a big pot, it takes it takes a little bit longer for them to actually run dry enough that they will. Um, but I find that they almost start to wilt by the time I come back in with the next watering. And I think those little micro stresses have helped to bolster up the, the terpene profiles without doing the yield in much. Um, but like I said, it kind of depends on the plants I've got in there because some plants just really don't like that. And if you do it around then, then they'll, some of them will kind of shut down 
and you can't get them to, to amp back up, but some of them take it in stride. Um, but that, that's, that's a particular micro stress that I'm, I'm actually really a fan of is that, that week five, week six skip of water. Um, but I'm, like I said, I'm using those large pots. So they have such a, a mass that the plant, that the first couple inches will dry out, but the rest of the pots still. So it's, it's, it's something I like to do, but I wouldn't necessarily be like, go try it, do your thing. Like, I, it's just something I like to try. Seeing Bernard's observation booth there in chat's uh, backing you up there, uh, saying basically uh, same thing. Research has been published providing drought stress during flower increases terpenoids, flavonoids, and yield. There you go. That's cool. Definitely I've respect that kid's opinion too. <laughs> I've got so many white papers I haven't been able to read through them all yet, but I'm pretty sure I have some on this on this particular topic. I just haven't had the time to get to the details of them. It's just, it's a conclusion I've kind of come to on my own. Uh, I've found that that's skipping a watering earlier, week three or week four, really the week three ones. If, if you skip a water in that one that, um, that they sometimes they won't stretch as much you can almost cut the stretch the stretch off by skipping the watering and they freak out a little bit and they won't finish stretching and I, i've got a two two trellis a two-tier trellis system so i'll put the plants in there and then during week one or week two i'll absorb all the stretch into the first trellis kind of scrog style but week three, week four, I let them stretch. And the good ones, my keepers, will hit the second trellis by the time they're done stretching. Um, but I've noticed just playing around that sometimes you skip the watering at the wrong time too early. And they may just barely hit that trellis or they might not even hit that trellis. And then you've got these wobblies in between the two trellises. And that's not really ideal for me. Um, I don't like to train them to the second trellis, but I like the second trellis to be my oops, and then it catches them when they get a little floppy. It's my built-in yo-yo, you know? Um, so I, I kind of freak out if they don't at least hit the second trellis. That's actually one of my my um, criteria for whether it's a keeper or not is could I could I scrog it for week one and week two and it still hit the trellis week three week four week five um but then yeah week five week six I'll I'll miss a watering I usually water because I don't have my blue mat set it up so this is going to be hard to do when I set my blue mats up because they're just going to be prime time all the time with the water but because I don't have them set up yet, I usually water twice a week. So when I skip a watering, it's it's only five or six days between waterings, which really isn't that crazy when you're considering the amount of soil that's in there. Um, it's something something around 120 to 150 gallons of soil, because it's the 
the smart pot that I had in there was 44 diameter, 44 inches of diameter, but it was taller. And these ones are square 48 by 48, but they're shorter. So it's about the same size, same amount of soil. It's just in a different configuration. Um, and then by week five, week six, because I've scrogged things out and then they started to shoot up, I really have a pretty good shade layer from the foliage. So there's not a lot of light hitting the soil by week five, week six. So there's not a lot of pressure on that soil to really dry out very fast, except for what the plants are drying up. Um, so I've kind of found it to be the, the sweet spot because if I do week six, week seven, week eight, then I'm really going to notice the drop in yield and the drop in yield at that point is really not worth the increase in secondary metabolites. So if I'm going to do it anywhere, that week five, week six is just my happy spot. But I, I do I do like to let them stress a little bit, like you said, if, if they get some of them will stretch, you know, 18 inches above that second trellis. And if they do that, they're on their own, man. I'm not catching them. I'm not saving them. I've had them totally flop over and lean on this, just lay on the second trellis. And that's just what they do. Like sucks to be you, but you're going to finish like that. So um, I, I hear you on the the sort of micro stresses and the, the micro breaks that can happen in the stem and the plant kind of having to take care of itself. But that trellis really saves them from, from doing the, the nose dive where they would be in, in danger of um, snapping. So I, I don't have them snap, but sometimes I do see the micro stresses in the stems where they'll kind of, um, you can feel it. You can feel it kind of, the fibers kind of separate a little bit inside the stem and they'll have a little bit of a squish to them. And then a couple of days later, they're, they're firm as can be. It's almost like, um, was that monster cropping when you pinch it and bend it over and it makes the knuckle? It's, a, it's like a lighter version of that. Yeah, uh, yeah it is. Uh, well, super cropping, isn't it? Where you're pretty much just still snapping it like that. Monster cropping is like when you put it into uh, flower and bringing it back and you kind of get the more bushier plant. Yeah, that's but, uh, super cropping is where you just snap the stem, right? I think you're right. Anyway, snapping the stem, whichever one that is, I don't, I forgot because I, I don't do it, obviously. So, um, that one I do play with as well. That's actually a newer technique I've just kind of adopted in the last uh six months, uh, during flower, kind of you know encouraging that little bit of stress there in between uh, nodes there, just enough to not damage it or even bend it over, just enough to hear it crack a little bit and then up to the next one, crack, crack, crack. And it seems to, uh, it, well, it seems to stiffen up that stem too, give it a little bit more uh, girth to it to support that extra weight before she actually gets to that, you know, point of no return there a little bit you know it buys me a little bit more time before i have to step in there <laughs> gotcha yeah i've just noticed through observation that they'll have those where the fibers will kind of pull apart 
from it laying down. I just I kind of go down the stem and just kind of see what's going on. If there is a break or if that because I get worried sometimes that that stem's going to lay there and dry out and rot and be a environment for all the wrong things. But um, because of the size of the holes in the trellis, I've never actually and there's a little bit of give to the the fishing line that I used. It, it's got a little bit of give to it. I've never actually broken a stem by just letting them flop over on that trellis. But before the trellis, I definitely had some droop so far down that they would they would snap up high. And then it's you got to do something about it or it's gonna it's gonna die off. But since I put the trellis in, I've done all day. That's why I forgot totally forgot the name of super cropping. I, monster cropping or what the difference was but um i did used to do some of that in veg and then i just i started lsting and then i started just topping i kind of have my own philosophy on all of that as well um i'm more liable to lst something that's broadly and more liable to top something that's a narrow leaf. Um, simply because the narrow leaves will rebound from the topping faster. Well, when they rebound, the rebound time is the same, but when they rebound, they grow faster than the broad leaves do. So you can afford to top the more narrow leaf varieties when you are gonna actually lose a lot of time if you do that to the broadleaves. So I, I just- oh, it's crazy. I never, never really took that into consideration when uh, comparing the two. I know, you know, the, usually when I hear the argument, you know, be, between the two, it's, you know, more, you know, I top because it's more heads, more heads, more heads. And then usually the LST guys, you know, I'm getting the more heads too, but I'm not creating the stress on the plant and it's recovering, you know, quicker. So, you know, I'm widening the plant out, getting the same amount of heads. I'm just not creating, you know, the lag and the stress in the plant. But I've never even considered, you know, uh, narrow leaf and thin leaf plants as a, a reason for either or. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of came across that myself. I didn't read it or anything. It's just an observation that I made um, probably only about two years ago. I noticed that because it all has to do with the redistribution of auxins. Um, and the more broadly varieties are generally what we would call an indica. They're, they're generally slower growing than what we would call a sativa. Um, and they generally have a, a closer node spacing. So the sativas, when they start to grow again after you top them, they're going to make up for that lag because they have larger node spaces. So they, they seem to jump faster. Where if you top an indica, they're going to still have a shorter node spacing. So you I, you set back the overall size of the plant. Yeah, you might have a lot of, of tops, but like I was saying, I like it to hit that second trellis. So it doesn't do me a lot of good if I have a lot of tops, if they don't hit the second trellis. 
Um, so it's less stress on the plant to, to bend over the top and redistribute the auxins based on, because auxins will go to the highest points. They'll, they'll congregate at the higher points uh, more, not that they don't congregate at the lower points, but they'll congregate more at the higher points. And it's, it's less stress on the plant because you're still leaving the auxins intact when you LST the plant, the auxins are still there. But with topping the plant, you're actually removing the auxins from the system. So the auxins not only have to be redistributed, they have to be recreated. Um, but with a sativa or a narrow leaf, because they stretch and because they usually veg faster, like I've got a Vietnam black that just, it grows like the grass out front, man. It just grows like crazy. I can top it like mad and it still just grows like crazy. But if I did that to an Afghani, I would end up with this short little bush with a thousand tops on it. And so I've, I, I just, through observation, I learned to differentiate the two techniques based on how the plant grows as far as the speed of growth and the, the length of the nodes. Um, because obviously the ones that grow faster are going to make up for the, the lag phase of recreating the auxins and redistributing the auxins and recovering from the topping than the ones that don't have such a node space. They're still going to grow. They're still going to make new plant material, but you're not going to get as much mileage out of it as you would the other. Granted, you still have to take clones off of both of them and I prefer to take my clones off the top. I don't like to take those, those bottom cuts that come way out. Sometimes they even make J's. Um, I, I just chop and drop all that low material because I don't like to, I don't like to inhibit or I don't like to influence the, the growth structure of the plant through the cutting that I've chose. I like to take the most natural growth structure of the plant, which just happens to be the top of the plant and use that for a cutting. So in either case, I still have to take cuttings from the top of the plant, but I only do that when I need cuttings and not every time I'm attempting to train the plant. So it was just, it was just something that I, I picked up myself, you know, other people's mileage might vary, but it seems to work for me. You think there's any drift in clones from the top or the bottom? I always love that argument. Me myself, I don't think there's any, but uh, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on taking clones from the top or bottom. I don't, I don't think there's any difference in like the finished flower, but I don't like how some of the. Um... Or I guess, how about drift? Do you think there's a drift in genetics? That's the way no. I hear it from. And I'm like, no, I don't, that is shit ain't there. No, <laughs> no, no. Again, I, I'm, I'm willing to hear your thoughts on that shit. So I, I don't think that the genetics drift at all. I just don't like what those, those lowers will have a different initial growth structure. And sometimes when you take those lowers that have been growing more laterally and you put them in a cloner 
and then you clone them. Sometimes you get some funny bends in the bottoms of what is the new plant structure. And I just don't like those funny bends. But, um, you know, the, the straightest path between two, or the, the shortest path between two points is a straight line. So I don't want some clone that has to do this and then do that and grow up. I'd rather it grow straight up. Um, but I, I don't think it's a genetic drift. The genetics are the genetics. And the clone is going to recover and turn into a full plant and take care of itself just the same as it would, provided you know how to grow a healthy plant, then it's going to be the same plant. It's just, I don't like the structural difference of the plant. Um, that's, that's what I'm picky about. That's why I prefer the tops over the sides. Uh, it has to do with that, that main trunk and that base, the base of the structure, as opposed to any sort of genetic drift that the genetics are the genetics. You can influence them a little bit by like a virus or changing the environment. Um, but if the environment's the same and you didn't get them sick and you clean your tools and it's going to be the same plan. It's just like you can take, I do think there might be a little bit of drift that occurs by growing the plant indoors. Um, it does make, it's not something I'm capable of doing, but it does make sense to me to actually take the plants and put them outside um, in the spring, early summer, every couple of years to get that sun grown natural growth and then take cuttings from that because it's going to express it's going to express it's like truer profile that way um as opposed to an artificial situation we have to recreate inside so I, I do think there's that sort of a drift but i don't think us indoor growers i don't think there's anything we can do about that without taking it outside we're putting it in like a, even a sunroom. I don't think it's going to be the same. You need the temperature swings. You need the humidity swings. You need the actual sunlight. Um, and you want it in that early or that spring, early summer when it's vegetatively growing outside. I always, you know, I, I dare say that restores a lot of the vigor in that strain as well. You know when you put her outdoors for that short amount of time. Just, that sun does magic to a plant. <laughs> it really yeah. does. Yeah. So I, I think there's that kind of a drift, but I don't, I don't see the tops versus the sides having much. I think you could take a top and a side, put them both outside for that period of time, bring them back in and not know which one's which. Like, um, I don't think there's any sort of long-term lasting effects from taking a, a side branch over a top, no. So do you do any deleafing at all? I know you'd like to sound like you're bare minimum, but there is some benefits there. I mean, even deleafing a little bit to drive your brakes up, you know, just overall health 
you know, for the plant helps. I do. So the first week or two, I'll scrog the, the top of them. I'll scrog them under the first net. Week three, week four, I let them stretch up through the second net. And then that same week three, week four, I, uh, I'll go down under the plants and under the first net and look for anything that didn't even try to reach up, whether it's a branch, a leaf, and I'll clear a bunch of that out. And by week five, I can pretty much get under that first trellis and see the back of the tent, see the sides of the tent. It's pretty, pretty cleared out down there. And then week five, week six, um, I tend to look for large amounts of overlap of the leaves from the scrogging. When I, when I laid them all out, sometimes you'll get the fan leaves will overlay too much or you'll get three or four fan leaves that are all trying to crowd into a particular section. And I might go in and thin a little bit of that out just for airflow purposes. Um, but other than that, I, I tend to leave them. And then I've noticed that sometimes missing that watering on week five or week six, you'll lose, it'll sacrifice some of those lower leaves. They'll, they'll go limp, they'll brown out, they'll yellow out, they'll, depending on what sort of state that particular plant was in when he decided to skip a watering. Um, so the end of week six, beginning of week seven, I'll just take a look and kind of pull out anything that might be a, a site for um, mold or mildew or pests to hide and drop that to the floor. But other than that, it's, I try to keep it pretty minimal, I, I guess. I don't, I know there's people out there that go a lot harder than I do on training and defoliating and that sort of stuff, but that's, that's just kind of how I do it. I try to maximize, um, I think of the, the fan leaves as solar panels. So I just try to maximize the exposure of their solar panels while still keeping wind air exchange in mind. Um, so I, I keep it pretty simple, I would like to think, but I'm sure there's people that just pop them in the flower and don't touch them. And that's that would be simpler than what I do. But I, I do like to get rid of the the larf, you know, the little popcorn buds that would be down low, the stuff that never hit the first trellis, let alone the second trellis. Um, I like to get all that stuff out of my way, mostly because I I water with a one of those Chapin uh, 1949 concrete sprayers, and I hate it when I stick the wand back in there and I spray the left and I spray the right. Next thing I know, I'm caught up in all these lowers and it's getting all tangled and and they don't really amount to nothing anyway. So I, uh, I like to clear all that out so I can actually water efficiently with the chapping, but that'll all change with the blue mats. Um, but I'll still clear all that out because it, it never amounts to nothing. They they end up being little, little. they're not even a bowl of peace. So, you know, why, why bother? Um, it's easier to, to do away with it and increase the airflow and just happier plants that way, I think. 
Well, it's a happier gardener, if nothing less. So. Yeah, it's no fun to trim that shit. No. Even yeah. if I do leave it behind some of that shit, I try to trim that shit up first because I know by the time I go fucking top down, I'm just going to throw it away. I'm like, hey, I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm done with it. I don't even want to mess with that shit. Sometimes, like, like, sometimes I'm surprised and those lowers will actually reach the first or second trellis. Like the, the Topanga Canyon, she's some of those lowers can they shoot so far the og sort of stuff they they shoot so far that you never really know if those lowers are going to make it up there or not um and you know two-thirds of that branch might be larf i might end up stripping it but i might get a nice nugget or two on the top of it so it's worth leaving for me you know in that case but it it's all genetic depending a lot of them don't ever make the the trellis but i still give them the chance um, you know, I've actually changed my feeling a little, just a tiny bit about a lot of that lower shit lately, at least on the LED side. For some reason, again, total bro science here, only in my opinion, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have found that uh, when I run LEDs there or run the same girls under LED. Uh, even though the it doesn't by eye, you know what I mean by eye, that doesn't be seem to be penetrating that deep. I'm still getting nice, uh, nice colas down there, nice dense colas down there. It seems like the plant just utilizes that light so much more efficiently than it does under HPS, where we had to remove that larf or be more critical about removing that larf. Larf. Oh, rather, excuse me, a little bit of dry cottonmouth here. You're all right. <laughs> but uh, have you noticed any of any kind of difference like that, or you, have you been able to run under, you know, full spectrum, just like that? I I noticed. I noticed kind of the opposite when I went from the 600 HPS to the 315 ceramic metal halide because. Admittedly, using a 315 CMH over a 4x4 is a is a bit of a low light situation already. Um, I, I noticed some of the lowers when I was using the 600 HPS that they would actually be worth keeping, which I think is where I picked up the the habit uh, of leaving them to to see what happened. But since I've converted to the 315 CMH, I've kind of noticed that they got a little smaller and they're less they're less often worth keeping because I'm I'm already kind of stretching the the light over the canopy to a, an extreme already. So you know spreading the light out and then expecting it to also penetrate deeper is is kind of asking too much of the system. And so I've kind of noticed the other the other way, um, which is to kind of back up your, your point of what you're observing. It's just that I'm doing it in such a bass awkward situation that um, I'm 
I'm, I just went the other way with it. So I, it's the same observation, but mine was backwards because I'm not using more light over the same area. I'm using arguably the same amount or a little bit less light with less wattage over the same area. So I had the same sort of observation, but my circumstances were different. I could see how those, especially those new HLG panels that they have, the 550 or the 650, I would imagine if I was using one of those as opposed to this 315 or the 600 I was using before, I could see how those lowers would be more keepable. Um, but that's just not the situation that I'm growing in. But I, I totally get what you're saying, for sure. Yeah, these LEDs these days are definitely going to be taking us to a whole new level. I think it's actually going to be a, a thing to where we're coming up with recipes of light spectrums per cultivar. You know what I mean? There's just going to be a forum for that light. And it's like, oh, you're running this fucking kush. Well, you want to dial that light in to this spectrum with this recipe throughout your flowering phase. And you're going to just crush it. Uh, we'd never, that was, you know, that was, was never even a thought with these other lights, you know, the 315 double-ended and all that shit. We never even considered that shit we always relied on the light companies but i think with these newer lights where people are actually playing with them a little bit not just the scientists at the uh the light companies but you know the home growers tweaking them out as well it's going to be crazy what we can do here in the next few years with just the equipment we have you know uh much less you know and you know and again i'd rather see us trying to tweak out the plant like that than trying to see what we can dump on it <laughs> you know to you know get better yields and stuff i would much rather play with light spectrums than you know what we're actually feeding plants to up our games it's i found it interesting since i've had the time to really comprehend what I've been reading for a few years, but then also to watch some of these collectors in various parts of the region go and get um, seeds and, and, you know, these land race guys. And they'll, like, cannabis originally, from my understanding, was a plant that, that started off following humans um, and it was like semi-cultivated before we cultivated anything, but that's because we were using the plant. And then as a, as a, like a village sort of, um, understanding of humans not not this urban stuff we have these days but back in history pre-agriculture we would use this plant and then parts of it would be 
disposed of. So it kind of started to be semi-cultivated in that it would grow in and around our trash heaps, which our trash heaps back then were all compostable. We didn't have all these plastics and things. Um, and it kind of followed us from place to place because that's how we treated it. But our trash heaps weren't necessarily in the prime locations all the time. So I, for whatever reason, I can't um, think of a particular cultivar right now, but I've seen instances where people have particular cultivars that do better under low light situations than they do under extreme light situations. And the plant performs better in what could almost be considered part shade, part sun, as opposed to full Cali sun. And I don't mean perform better in the yield sense, but perform better in the, the secondary metabolite sense. The, the finished product is more medicinal and plant some cultivars. I don't know why they're escaping me right now. I've come across them several times, but they actually freak out for lack of a better word. When you put them in a high intensity situation, and then I went and I watched these, these land race collectors and they'll find plants that aren't necessarily in an open field or in uh, any kind of ditch or open setting where they get full exposure. They'll be under, under a tree canopy or they'll be up against like a, a cliffside and the plants look beautiful but they're not in what we would call an open agriculture field system they're in some marginal niche of what what i would call like where the forest meets the field and in history a lot of our like fruit trees and the fruit, brambles, raspberries, blackberries, um, even the blueberries, they all come from where the forest meets the field. They all come in that, that intersection of where the tree canopy starts to dip. And then you have like prairie land, field land. And in that area, you find this huge diversity of plants and you find this mixture of sun and shade so I, I don't know that every, I don't know that every cultivar is going to necessarily benefit from that extreme intensity all the time. Um, you're certainly going to have more of the, the Afghani look with the, the broad leaves and they're really, really waxy. Like you can almost see yourself in them. They've got such a wax layer on them. Um, those are definitely going to be more out in the prairie where they're more used to full sun. But there's some cultivars where even at their prime of health, they don't make that same thickness of a waxy layer. And I think those are more prone to low light situations or part sun, part shade situations where they still have 
the day length, but they don't have the day intensity as those other cultivars do. And I really think my environment is more tailored towards finding the ones that work in the not so intense regions in those in those more part sun part shade which in the grand scheme of where people live these days and where people cultivate these days it's really the smaller majority of us that live in that that area where it's just maximized all the time there's more of us that live in this kind of part sun part shade like i'm up in the rainy ass northwest there's not it's not pristine for very often, if ever some years. And so I kind of feel like I'm applying a selection pressure by keeping the low light situation and still seeing what thrives. And I might almost be selecting for a larger population of the growers by doing that because there's so many of us that are not in say, humble, for example. There's so many people growing so many other places that are less than pristine, that are less than perfect, that I feel like that selection pressure is actually doing me a benefit by trying to find plants that thrive in this low light situation, as opposed to actually covering the square footage with what most growers would agree is the proper amount of light. Um, I hope that makes some sort of sense. But I, I feel like I'm almost creating a selection pressure for my future projects where it might serve more people better in the long run because I have applied that low light situation where it's not perfect any of the time, let alone all the time. Does that make sense at all? It does. It does. Um, yeah, I actually think a couple of them strains, at least outdoors, that cookies and uh, the Mac, neither one of them do very well in highlight outdoor situations like that. Even uh, do you think in the cases of them strains like that, it's just a it could be a case to where you could set them out for uh, less amount of time in flowering, let them get like you know say instead of 12 hours give them like eight hours max light and then go ahead and put them back in the dark because they you know they've reached that maximum of uh, light of what they needed for the day instead of just putting them in a shade all day or just can't they indeed take the intensity i don't remember where i heard it at but it was recently i heard that I don't know if I believe it yet, but I'll just reiterate what I heard. Um, I can see some validity to it, but I haven't, I haven't tested it for myself to really prove it to myself yet. But there was a, a thought that somebody shared about that sort of a concept where say you have one of these lower light plants and you put it out in a higher intensity than it would wish for. And it's there for a certain amount of time in the day. And it hits this sort of maximum, 
like 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 you've almost filled the batteries up with photosynthetic activity and then from there you take it and you put it in not a lights out situation but you put it in a low light situation where it doesn't have to work so hard and you still have the same day length it's just that you maximize all of the sunshine in a shorter period of time and then kind of limped it along for as long as you needed it to and the theory was that if you did that it's the same thing as running it so many hours and then at, at a lower light and it hopefully getting the max by the end of it it was just a way to ensure that you hit the max every time and then limped it along as far as you needed to so that you made sure you maximized that photosynthetic power every day um i haven't got to toy with that idea yet but that is something i heard of fairly recently and i wish i could remember who i heard it from I don't remember if it was even in the cannabis space or if it was in an agricultural sense. But that is a concept I'm familiar with. And I really wish I could remember who said it. I like to give credit where credit is due, but it, it's not coming to me. But I'm interested to find that out. If, if you can fill a, like if you could take one of those plants that doesn't have so much of the waxes to be able to protect itself and put it out in an environment where it's not going to get sunburnt, but it's going to get pushed to its peak and leave it there for six hours and then bring it into the shade for six hours and it's still flower fine and still turn out the same as one that you left somewhere in the middle the whole time. Um, I'm really curious to see if, if it works like that. I, I really don't know. I would think it would for multiple reasons. <laughs> you know, we all know that they you know, each of these plants do have like a daily light integral, you know, um, maximum or minimum light hours needed. So if you could give it that intensity for a short amount of time, uh, I think it would survive just fine. Uh, not only that, I would almost think that if it were able to adapt and, and, and able to adapt to that kind of rhythm, I think you would see a, a bigger trichome heads. You know what I mean? Ultimately, you know, that's it's protected from that light. So if it's getting, you know, and at more intensive amount of light for a short amount of time, it may have to work, you know twice as hard in that trichome productions to defend itself and then leisure for the rest of the day. I don't know. It'd be uh, interesting to try if you could provide them uh, that environment. Yeah, that's something I can definitely try next year with other herbs outside. Um, like peppermint comes to mind because peppermint sometimes in the heat of summer, it doesn't like the full sun it can't really take that same intensity that we can give, you know, like SoCal cannabis. We, it can't, it can't take that. Um, but if you put it out there for a few hours and then brought it in, I, I can try that next year and see if it works with something like peppermint. Um, and leave somewhere, so leave a control kind of somewhere in the middle in a happy spot where I know peppermint grows well 
and then kind of manipulate the other one, dragging it back and forth and see what happens. Because um, it's fairly easy to organoleptically test peppermint to see if it's happy or not. It'll either be super pepperminty or you'll wash it out. Um, but I'll, I'll have to try that next year and see if it works. Because if it works with one plant, I would I would assume it's probably a naive assumption, but I would assume that it's going to work for others. And peppermint's just one well, I can I, do with really easy. I really believe that's got to be somewhat true. I know a grower that lives, you know, his greenhouses are on a mountain, and uh, his uh, days are shorter like that. But when he's you know, running his lights, it's LEDs, almost screw-in bulbs on a generator to, you know, complete the cycle to keep things in check there. And I almost believe that's the reason he's being able to do that is, you know, because he's so high up the intensity of sunlight that he's getting for the, you know, shorter amount of hours are just plenty. You know, the, them plants are getting everything they need in a short amount of time. And then, them other, then the lights he's running after that are just enough to keep, you know, veg, if you will, right. or just keep his cycle straight. Right. Just enough to complete the hours, yeah, without stressing it further. That's really an interesting concept. Um, it'll, it'll be fun to play with, actually. I'm going to have to really try it. I think I can try it with a handful of plants, but peppermint was the one that just came to mind because I know I have it out there in pots. But yeah, all I can do is try it and see what happens. You know, it's um, definitely be an interesting. You know, all in the name of science there, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, w I wonder what effect his altitude has to do with it. Because, you know, at higher altitudes, you get greater amounts of the UVs as well. Um, UVB. Oh, I never thought about that, but that definitely... Uh, argument for some nicer plants up there <laughs> for sure yeah so I, I wonder what sort of his effects are coming from that and what sort of effects are coming from the, the light manipulation yeah i have but, to ask him that the next time i talk to him that's, that would be really interesting though to, to do it where he's at and then to do it somewhere near him but at a different like a lower elevation and see if it had the same effect, you know, if it, if it turned out the same product using the same method at different elevations, or if it was really the elevation making the difference. I can really see that elevation thing playing a huge part, huge part. Yeah, it'd be, so, um, how do you go about uh, your harvest there? Are you, uh, do you prefer to just, you know, pull them down and hang them? Do you like to wet trim? Uh, what's your process after, after most of the hard work's done, if you will? <laughs> um, I, I defoliate them. I tried wet trimming once, it was a nightmare. I hate that. Um, I've really gotten pretty lazy in the post growing part of it um i'll defoliate and then i try to hang the plant up in as big of pieces as i can but because i have the two trellis nets sometimes it's not 
whole plant. Sometimes it's a third of a plant or half of a plant. Um, and then I just strip the major fan leaves off. Sometimes I get a little picky towards the, the colas and I'll pick, I'll pick off a little extra just depending on how I'm feeling. Um, and then I try to hang them in as large of pieces as I can. I have a little, so I have a four by four veg tent and then two four by four dry tents, but I have a, a two and a half by two and a half tent that's just for drying. And, and um, I have a little, made a little PVC rack that fits in there. And then I screwed some screws in one side and screwed some screws in the other side and stretched fishing line between them on, on different levels. So it's kind of like it's kind of like the coat hanger method, but I'm not using coat hangers, and I've maximized the vertical space. Um, it's got its own its own carbon filter, and then I just zip it up when I'm done. But I'll hang the pieces on those those lines, and because it's always a little humid here, except for maybe two months in the summer. I can almost dry and cure it in the dry tent because the humidity is at least 60% almost year round. And I don't run AC, I don't run dehumidifiers, I don't, I don't run any of that. Um, we do flip the furnace on in the winter, but other than that, they just hang. I try to get at least two weeks hanging and then they go into jars and they get burped. Um, I got half gallon quart jars. So I can usually fit, a plant will usually fit into one or two of those half gallon jars if it's a good harvest. If it's a bad harvest because something like, something happened like my back went out, then every plant pretty much fits in one, one jar. And I'll burp the jars. I try to give them three or four weeks in the jar. So it's probably probably six weeks from harvest to smoke. Because um, I don't I don't like that green flavor. Um, I don't I don't I don't harp on anybody who does. It's just I'm not I'm not one of them. I like to get a good cure at least three weeks. They, they really hit their prime about six weeks into cure, but by that time, I'm usually on to the next one. And I leave all the sugar leaf on until I'm ready to smoke that particular flower. So every time I sit down to smoke, I, I think of it as like unwrapping a Christmas present every time. Um, I kind of sit down with that flower and I have it with the sugar leaves all curled up around it. And then I, I take a few minutes and I pick them all off. And then um, it's kind of like, I treat it like how people should eat their food. And we really should before we actually eat we should take a moment to actually appreciate the food itself and what that does is it gets your mind and your digestive tract on the same page 
so that it, it actually helps with digestion, but it also helps with the concept of being grateful and the concept of understanding that that things like food are not promised to you, that this really is a, a opportunity that life doesn't have to give you. And with that gratefulness comes a humbleness that you are lucky enough to eat another meal. Um, so I, I treat my cannabis in the same fashion that this plant's not promised to me. This particular flower is not, not something that has to be. It doesn't, it's not preordained. Um, I'm fortunate to have had this moment and this experience with this particular flower. So I take a moment when I'm taking the leaves off and actually sit with it for a second and look at it and admire it and thank it and appreciate it for what it is, regardless of if it's my best flower, my worst flower, my first flower, my last flower, it's this flower in this moment right now. And it helps me to stay humble and stay centered and remind myself that everything in life is short, regardless of what you're talking about. And it gives me a certain amount of humbleness that I, I think I would lose if I didn't do that otherwise. But psychologically, it prepares me for the consumption of that particular flower. And it kind of puts me on the, the figurative same page as that flower and allows me to enjoy it for it instead of any expectations I put on it or, and it allows me to, to let go of the energy or the situation that I might have just come from. Um, so if I had a bad day, I don't try to bring my bad day to my flower. Um, in the same sense, I don't let my bad day influence my meal because then I won't digest properly. So I, I try to take a moment and clear myself and then partake. So with giving myself the moment to take off those flowers or those sugar leaves, I force myself to have this one-on-one -on -one with that particular flower um, to make sure that I, I'm wholesome with the experience, if, if that makes sense. It, it can sound kind of corny sometimes when, when you, you hear something like this for the first time, but after you practice it for a while, you start to understand that it really does have an, a greater influence on how you, how you act as a, as a person. Um, we had to do a, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I agree with everything you just said there. In fact, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I hope I can clip that out and get me a digital tray to where that plays for the people like the, for the last few days where I've been like behind on my trimming a little bit and had to leave 
some buds. On, actually, you know, buds on the stick still, just like you've stated there. <laughs> with leaf on them. And I get this look as I'm walking out the door like I just fucking threw lawn on the front, on the tray there. So I would love to play that experience for them as they had to de-leaf a few little bud leaves off their fucking buds before they had to smoke them. No effort for free because I didn't get to that right quick before I fucking left. Uh, yeah. You, they should be a hell of a lot more grateful about the flower they got <laughs> instead of having to go, oh, man, I've got to knock off a couple leaves because you didn't have a couple minutes to do it. Well, geez, I just left you, you know, a half ounce for fucking two hours. <laughs> knock the fucking leaves off it and be grateful you get to smoke while I'm gone. <laughs> Yeah, man. Yeah, when I was in school, we had to do this. Um, it was a group exercise, and everybody got one grape or one raisin in their palm. You can actually you can find the same exercise online. I think it's on YouTube, and um, they make you they they tell you you know look at the raisin and and like really look at it, look at its folds, look at its curves, look at its shape. Um, think about where it came from. Think about what it's been through. Think about, you know, how much had to happen for this raisin to be in your palm right now. And then it walks you all the way through smelling the raisin and feeling the raisin. And then you finally put it in your mouth, but you can't chew the raisin. You put it in your mouth and you feel it with your tongue. And then you push it against the roof of your mouth. And then finally you get one, one chew. And it, it's the same exercise. It's the same exercise in, in becoming grateful for what it is in front of you and, and understanding its journey and then what it's going to do for you. And it was really, it was the first time I had ever really done this sort of a concept. And I couldn't help. I laughed out loud in class. Like it was, it was funny because there's like 15 people all sitting around staring at a raisin in their palm. And we're all going through this, the same exercise. But by the time you're done with it and you understand that it's the best damn raisin you've ever had in your life, that maybe there's something to it. Like maybe. And after that, we, me and my girlfriend, because we, we did the, the program together, we went home that night. And before she let me eat dinner, we did the same thing with our dinner because um, we're close enough. We don't hate each other yet. So we're close enough that we actually eat dinner off the same plate. And she, she would not let me touch the plate with my utensils till we did the same thing. And I thought it was, you know, just for, in a relationship standpoint, I thought it was really cute. Her doing this to me, you know, her putting me through this. But um, again, it was one of the best damn meals I ever had, you know, point blank. And it wasn't anything in particular that we don't make any other day of the week. But um, taking the moment to appreciate it for actually being there and thanking it essentially um it was it was a pretty big revelation so i just carried that over into my cannabis and i was like oh look i have this this opportunity because i don't pull these 
these fan leaves off or these sugar leaves off anyway. And I was like, oh, well, I've had it built in and I didn't even, I didn't even know, you know? So when I incorporated that into my smoking ritual, which it really is a ritual, you can ask anybody that ever smokes with me, it's a ritual that um, it, it really is more of a wholesome experience than anything I've ever had before. So, um, it, you know, people can take it for what it's worth. They don't have to believe me. I don't really give a shit if they do, but um, I've, I've noticed it firsthand and that's all that matters to me. You know, I'm better for it. So, but it was, it was definitely, uh, I, I believe. yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. To do that. Yeah. Super interesting. The, the whole psychological aspect to it is really cool. That's a whole nother angle right there that people don't touch on as much as they should. I mean, we touch on it as, you know, growing, recreational, medicinal, and, uh, you know, but we rarely talk about the, the social or uh, spiritual side of cannabis and how it relates to, you know, it all. And there's a huge angle of spiritual spirituality that goes with the plant uh, both in celebrating whatever uh whatever it is that you chase there i dare dance around them words uh uh but whatever makes you feel good there's a lot of people that meditate and use the plant and uh i think that's a, a great way to use the plant on that level as well as i believe there's a spiritual connection with us to the plant when we're doing our gardening uh as well uh, and, but you know either way there's a whole lot of spirituality going on there you know that the plant is inviting out of us and i don't think people give that a lot of cannabis a lot of credit to that either yeah i think a lot of people gloss over that part of it um I don't know if it's our lifestyle just in America. I can only really speak for America, but I don't, I don't know if it's because of our American lifestyle and we're also go, go, go. And we all worry about the finish line so much or I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but it, I've noticed that just in my peers and the people that I care about, even that there's really a lack of some of that spiritual awareness um that i i think I, even just enjoying it outdoors is a great way to capture that spirit spirituality as well i mean it helps you take in that moment you know the goodness that you're surrounded by it's very calming very calming to the soul yeah yeah and there's you know there's layers that you can add to it if you're outdoors you can feel the sunshine, you can feel the wind, you can um, observe the sway of the plants or listen for the birds or, you know, there's, there's a whole variety of other things that you can, you can just be thankful of for happening each day because the world's not going to be the same if any one of those things was to go away. And it, it's 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 humbling in the the aspect that it reminds you how small you are 
that how all of this would happen if you went away, but not everything would feel right if any one of those things went away. So it's 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 humbling in that sense. It's almost kind of like smoking and looking at the stars and understanding that those stars, a lot of those stars are other places. They might not be other inhabited places, but they are other places. And if that doesn't make you feel small, then I don't know how to help you. Like, you know, there's there's a lot you need to work through because that's the greatest way to feel your how minuscule you really are in the grand scheme of things. Um, but a lot of us are so busy or so preoccupied that we don't consider things like that. That was, it was almost a daily ritual to our ancestors when we didn't have so many distractions. You know, you couldn't help but notice the stars in the sky and the moon when it was the only light you had to go by because the sun went down. Like, it's, it's, it's humbling, you know. It, it shouldn't be so humbling because we should be more used to it, but. Oh, it is, though. Looking up at them stars is very humbling. I love that. Uh, you know, that's a great check in yourself right there. It's just staring up at them things and realizing <laughs> we're, we're nothing in grand scheme of all that. I mean, Man, we don't even know what the hell all that is, really. <laughs> you know, we don't even. And that's another thing, too. We wonder if there's anything out there. You know, and I always think to myself, if there is something out there, why in the hell would they want to come mess with us? I mean, we can't even get along with ourselves. <laughs> What's this, you know? Why would they, you know, we're going to go, they're just going to roll up and we're going to be like, oh, yeah, hey, yeah. I don't, I don't think it's going to work like that. Well, look, I think we've got to, we have to reach some kind of point to where we can all get along before that's even a consideration. I think they'd just fly past and be like, so that's what a trailer park looks like. And then they'd keep flying. Right. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> This is what it's like when it all went bad, right there. There's a failed experiment. Now let's go see this other one. Yeah, it's yeah. We've we've got to be some other situ civilizations. Just a crazy TV channel. <laughs> just ass backwards shit. <laughs> the Benny Hill of the fucking universe and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Man. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, let's see here. You prefer flour? Do you prefer any kind of edibles? Do you like edibles at all as, yeah. as a secondary to uh, smoking flour? Edibles are, they have their place, you know. Even even concentrates have their place. They're just not for me. Um, I, I do like edibles, but I would say they're a rare occasion. Um I've actually made, this is a cannabis infused oil. You can't really see the color of it because this is a blue tinted glass, but um, this is that pina, that pineapple, green apple, uh, butter, CBD rich pinot that I have from Mean Gene from Mendo. Um, 
Maybe you can see it if I take the. Yeah, you can kind of see that, I guess. This is a infused cannabis oil or infused coconut oil with cannabis, obviously. It's a cannabis oil, yeah. Um, I plan on making this into something, maybe a batch of cookies. Um, I'm really trying to figure out a gummy bear recipe. I really like my gummy bears, but I haven't got a recipe that I prefer yet. Look at um, Boom Farms for that, man. He is uh, forever working on uh, that type of stuff, uh, that type of edibles right there. That man loves his gummies. Loves man. his gummies. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to figure out, I'm picky, so I'm trying to figure out how to do it with honey and pectin instead of um, gelatin and sugar, you know. Um, trying to go the, the more natural route. But I, I think, think I just need to help you because I know there for a while he was experimenting with like fruit juices and stuff to get away from uh, those sugars. So I know oh, nice. he's in chat too. Listen, boom, hook him up with some recipes. You see the name <laughs> on the screen. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so. I'm trying to figure out some sort of portable, um, infused fun time when you're not in a situation where smoking is acceptable because there's increasingly more of those these days. Um, so I'm trying to figure that out just for something to take, you know, um, on the road per se when I can't prefer to smoke out of a bong and I, I don't, my bong doesn't leave the house. So if I'm ever camping or, you know, at a 4th of July party or Christmas party or whatever happens to be, and people have a few drinks, so I don't stand out so much, then I, I want to be able to have a way to imbibe myself if I don't drink. But, um, It's it's I, I do the I do like edibles. I do know my my tolerance level roughly. Um but I it's not something I've done a lot recently, like recently as in the last couple of years, simply because I've been too busy. I've I've even been too busy to make that oil. That oil didn't happen until after I graduated, so um Diamond Delight Edibles on YouTube, huh? I see you, boom. Um, but it's something I'm trying to get back to. I'm trying to find the rest of myself now that I graduated and trying to get control of my life again because it kind of gets carried away when you're in school and you, you don't even have time to think straight, let alone do anything. Um, but I'm also looking into, I, I don't know if infusing with flour is going to be, I don't know if it's going to get me enough medicine in a small enough quantity when you mix it into a gummy bear that one gummy bear is going to get you anywhere. And I don't want to sit down and have to eat a handful of gummy bears to get somewhere. So it might be something where I need like 
dry sift or uh, rosin press or something. I want to go solventless and I don't want to approach, you know, anything with alcohol or um, obviously I can't afford a CO2 closed loop extractor. I'm not interested in making RSO. Um, but it, it might turn out that flour just doesn't make it strong enough where it's feasible to have a gummy bear or two and actually get to my level. I, I got to play with that. I think he's got you covered. I've watched a lot of tests on uh, air. <laughs> a lot of test batches on air. <laughs> he's uh. I think he's got a couple of numbers down where where it's one or two, and he's pretty good there. <laughs> I do want to try, like Boom mentioned, I do want to try infusing honey too. I have some other other herbs infused into honey. Like this is um, I've obviously been eating some of it. This is uh, OSHA infused into honey, uh, which is a it's a respiratory herb. Um, I've been fighting a sinus infection for a little while now and I've gone through a little bit of it, but it works. So I'm, I do want to try a cannabis honey infusion as well. Um, and then see if the honey infusion with the oil infusion together in the same product gets me to where I need to be, but it's, it's going to take some trial and error to really find the right the right method I've got, to come with. I've got a theory on that edible shit too and that's just a theory too uh you know i've seen a lot of people you know uh say that they the edibles don't affect them and i my theory on this is uh they they are affecting them i think as people ingest them the body the mind is uh directing them into other places, not necessarily straight to your liver to Delta 11. I think your body, your mind might be going, hey, man, we need this to lower back <laughs> in in the form of a pain medicine. You know what I mean? And I think it, it isn't until you've got that your body in a, a good state to where it, then you'll get some kind of uh, psychological effects off it to where you can actually get a noticeable buzz off. I'd like to see the people that say edibles don't work try a bitter first. Um, they have bitters out there that are used to stimulate digestion. And like I had a professor that would, um, she would make a, a particular bitter tea and she would sip on the bitter tea while she was cooking and she could start cooking with no appetite. But by the time the meal was done and her tea was gone, she was like, you know, three days hungry. Um, and she would eat. And it, what it does is it keeps like the American diet has worked bitters out of everything. <laughs> but what it would do for her is it would stimulate bile secretion. It would stimulate the stomach to produce stomach acid. It would, it would pretty much prime the whole digestive tract so that when she ate, it wouldn't just sit there and slowly break down, slowly digest. It would actually digest like it's supposed to. 
And I wonder if the people that say edibles don't work happen to have a slow digestive tract. And it doesn't take a longer, a prolonged period of time for those edibles to break down to the point that they might not notice it, which seems silly, but people that eat large amounts of meat on a slow digestive system actually don't, I just use meat as an example here, but um, they don't digest it in their stomach like they're supposed to. You're supposed to break down the meat into smaller amino acid chains so by the time it gets to your small intestine and your large intestine, that it's actually small enough for your body to break it down the rest of the way and use. Um, if you don't do that in the stomach, it ferments in the small intestine and large intestine. And that's what can lead to some of the bloating and some of the uncomfortableness and some of the discomfort when it leaves the other end um so I, I would be interested to see some of those people try a bitter to stimulate digestion and get the whole system working and then take an edible and tell me it doesn't work if it still doesn't work then then yeah it could be that your body is in a particular um a particular mode where it's it's allocating that to fat storage or it's simply not digesting it maybe it's passing too fast and it's not actually even getting absorbed or maybe there could be a situation where you have um a disturbed lining in your your large intestine and you don't actually have the ability to absorb the edible let alone all of the nutrition out of your food so th there could be several things that would even inhibit it from getting into your body properly let alone once it's in your body actually doing what you want it to do so it could be a a, a handful of reasons as to why they they don't feel it but the only way that you're really going to get down to it is to manipulate it a little bit and to try certain things that are gonna help manipulate your system to see which part of it, which part of the process is being, um, is the broken link in the chain per se. Um, yeah, those people, there are ways around that, but I'm not going to say them on air for them to be saved forever because I don't want people to be irresponsible and it be my fault. But um, I think Aldridge already hit the, already put it in chat there. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's, the uh, that's one of them, but there's, there's a couple others. Um, but I'm more than happy to talk to people if they want to DM me on IG. I just, I don't want to leave it out there forever on YouTube. It would be a little irresponsible of me without knowing them a little bit. So if you do come at me in the DMs, expect me to have some questions for you because it's not just going to be like, here's the information. Good luck. It's going to be more, you're talking to an herbalist. Do you think that I need to know first? 
Um, yeah, but there, there is, there's a couple other tricks that you could try to see what the deal is. That's awesome, man. I, I appreciate you laying it down out there like that. Cause there's a couple of points right there I've never even thought about. It's like, you know, as far as like having an overactive uh, metabolism, I never even took that into account. Yeah, your, your body can just flush it right through. I mean, you know, um, you, you might not even absorb it. Like, so it just, it kind of depends. Everybody's different, but everybody's different. So you, you gotta, I, it's gonna take some, some probing to figure out what the, what the deal is. Um, yeah, because for my program, I had to take the same amount of, of biochemistry, chemistry, anatomy, and physiology as a, a naturopath goes through. So I have a pretty good understanding of the human body, more so than I would like to admit. But um, with that knowledge, I, I understand that there's there's a handful of reasons that somebody could legitimately say edibles don't work for them, which is is worrisome on one hand or the other, but it's not going to kill you if you're not dead yet, you know? So, um, it's I just, definitely agree. it's just useful from my perspective when I'm trying to give somebody advice that I have a little bit more information than, you know, it's not like giving out a PDF and saying, here you go, buddy. It's, I, I need a little more than that to make sure that I'm not giving somebody advice that's going to hurt them. Fingers are asking if you are a nervous. Yes, he stated that. So, as a nerve, what define can you for those of us that uh, don't quite understand uh, what an herbalist is? What exactly is an herbalist? I mean, uh, can you clarify? So, these days, an herbalist is more of a consultant than anything. Um, I think it was 1906, 1936. Um, oh, the Flexner Report, that's what it's called. When did the Flexner Report happen? 1910, um, Abraham Flexner was sent around the country to all of the medical schools that were in operation at the time. So this included uh, schools that modern-day physicians attend. This included homeopathic schools, herbalist schools, um, there's a couple other eclectic uh, Thompsonian schools, and they did a survey of 
all of the medical knowledge that was being taught and the way it was being taught and the curriculum and all of that. And he went back and he reported to the um, somebody in the government, might've been the American Medical Association. Um, I believe it was either the Carnegie Family or the Carnegie Foundation that that financed a bunch of this. There was a couple other families and well-to-dos that also had their their um, paws in the mix. But the outcome of the Flexner report was that they essentially sent a lot of these schools, a lot of these schools were no longer considered to be practicing medicine. And the only schools that were allowed to consider, to be considered to practice medicine were the ones that modern day physicians graduate from. So they were more about surgery and more about, um, because back in the day, that's what physicians did. They did surgery. They didn't do a whole bunch of this other that they do these days. And, you know, you go to a physician basically to get your physical adjusted. They take your arm off. They take your foot off. They cut you open, you know, take your appendix out. Um, but you had much more leeway as far as who you went to when you had the sniffles. And they said that everybody that went through these other schools could no longer be said to practice medicine. That they are no longer allowed to diagnose or or um, prescribe. So you can't diagnose any conditions, you can't prescribe any medicine in the modern word of the medicine. So I can't, I can't make any judgments based on your health about saying like, I can't tell somebody that they have diabetes and I can't prescribe them. Modern medicine is poison, <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so they they relegated us to a a more of a consulting level where if you need if you need x-rays if you need um diagnosed you have to still go to an md for that or an nd for that an nd can do it naturopath can do it herbalist can't do it you need to have a medical license and you need to have that certain level of certification to be diagnosed and prescribed. I can't tell anybody to stop taking their prescription. It's illegal. I can't tell somebody they have diabetes. It's illegal. Um, but what I can do is consult on their, their diet and lifestyle, their um, 
I can use things like a, their constitution um, or energetics um, to help give them so i can't lay down the law like i can't say go do this i can recommend that this might help but i even have to be careful in how i word things i can't say i can't use the word heal i can't use the word medicine i can't use the word um uh, i just lost it there was another word but um I can't, there's, there's, there's a certain level I can't, um, certain echelon of this, this words and this, this level of demand that I can't place on somebody. I can give them, um, I can give them like tips and guidelines and recommendations. And if they don't follow it, then that's on them. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't. Like, I can't force medication on anybody. I can't intubate anybody. I can't even, like, I can't look in your ears. I can't look, I can't use a tongue suppressor to hold down your tongue and look at the back of your throat. Like, I can't be invasive at all. Um, that's all, that's all for MDs, medical licensed people to do. They don't let us do that sort of stuff. Um, what I can do is I can read your face. I can read your hands, I can read your pulse, I can do non-invasive things. I can look at like how you walk, I can look at how you sit. Um, I can look at like, like um, your, your physical outer body. So I can tell sometimes like if you've got like, I can take your pulse, so I can take your pulse on your neck, I can take your pulse on your arm, but I can also look to see if like your glands are swollen or um, I honestly don't remember if I can listen to your heart or not. I would have to look in my, my notes to see if I could, I think I can. Um, so we're more of, of a diet lifestyle, sort of a consultant that's that's the really the best word and we can use other modes of of um my good friend uh johnny canacy would like to know if there's anything you can suggest for diverticulosis to get that specific I would, I would need to have like a one-on-one -on -one. Uh, that that turns into patient client, you know, client. I can't even call them patients. Like that right there is a mistake. He's a client. Um, I it would have to come down to a one-on-one -on -one conversation that was private between me and them, because um, there's more I would need to know. Like that that turns into a whole like two and a half intake conversation, because um, I I need to know I need to know a lot, but. Um, I could I could probably look it up if we wanted to go through that route and he wanted to to DM me or have a Zoom call or something, but it it it's down the rabbit hole really quick with all of that stuff. Um there's actually herbalists out there that charge really high dollar for that sort of a conversation. Not that I'm one of them, but 
that's how some of these people make their money is they have people that ask a question just like that and next thing you know you're three hours deep into a conversation about when's the last time they stubbed their toe and all this silly stuff um so can i put uh, uh an herbalist right next to like say a homeopathic medicine right yeah. along that lines sort of yeah yeah um we just have other methods but we we can suggest homeopathics as well um some of them really do work some of them are kind of funny business but some of them have studies and evidence behind them that the homeopathics work it just depends on what did you use and did you use it for the right damn thing so um but we can suggest herbal formulas and preparations that that will ease certain discomforts or um help improve the body's function so we have to use a lot of funny language but back in the day they were they were you know the village medicine man back in the day before all of this went down every like every village in in europe basically had a, an herbalist <laughs> And that was who you went to if you had the sniffles or you had, you know, a strained muscle or you had, you couldn't, you know, little Susie hadn't got out of bed for a week. She was depressed or, you know, there's, there's plants for all of that stuff. It's just, we can't prescribe, we can't diagnose. We got to be really careful about, about the terminology and about um, the kind of help that we provide um but a lot of it is because of the money that is big pharma and the pigeonhole that they put us in to allow for physicians to maximize their profits um so you know it's 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 all about the money game really herbalists can do a lot of good for a lot of people but um it's because of the monopolizing that they've done with the the big pharma situation that nobody really knows, like even what an herbalist does, let alone where to find one. So it's pretty unfortunate for the, you know the overall health of the community, but it really makes herbalism a dying art, which is exactly what they want. They want herbalism to die out. They want all this this knowledge to die out because they have all the old manuscripts and all the old knowledge that they pay these poor college students, you know, after they graduate and they're buried up to their necks in debt, they pay them to work for these pharmaceutical companies and dig through these, these old books and pull out things that they can then turn into the next pill or the next, you know, serum that they can shoot down you for $17,000 a month or whatever, when you could get it out of the whole plant uh, for, you know, a couple bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um i'm a believer i'm a believer myself you know medical i've hated i don't i have a dislike i shouldn't say hate i have a little bit of a dislike for modern medicine i just they, i don't feel they evaluate you correctly when you go in with any kind of ailments i think they're too quick to just throw the witch doctor medicine at you 
which ultimately makes you sicker and leads to more deficiencies in your bodies, which cause more problems, more pills. It's just a, a never-ending cycle of poison to your gut. And I, I try to stay steer clear of them. Unless I need an arm sewed back on or lobbed off a finger. When they, they've got that down. They've, they're getting pretty good at putting things back on and swapping things around. But I don't want them touching me when I've got a cold or anything else, man. I, there's just other ways. I'm a firm believer that, uh, you know, in herbal medicine and homeopathic medicine, before I even think about going to see a any day, any day. I will take that route first. It's just, uh, you know, if they were more to like do blood work right off the bat, see like what's exactly going on. I mean, that's their advantage, just like you said. I mean, you have the observation, the power to look at you and go, okay, yeah, this is what you could probably do. They have the power to pull out your blood and, you know, go, okay, my science says you're deficient on these things let's get these into your system we know you need that before i give you a bunch of crap come back in a week after you've gotten all these great you know uh vitamins and nutrients in your system all what your body needs come back come on back in a week and then we'll see how you feel if you're not still feeling good we'll dive a little bit deeper and then try some medicine but they won't do that. They're just right off the bat. They go, what do they do? They open, they look in your mouth, they take your pulse. <laughs> okay, well, here's a script. There you go. See you around. And uh, that doesn't help you come back and I'll give you another one of fancy pieces of paper. We'll keep going with that. It's just, uh, I don't I don't care for it. I mean, even in this yeah. latest this latest COVID thing, they, they, uh, to me, it was blatantly apparent to me, but um, oh yeah, it is 420 on the East Coast if you want to soak up. But um, even with this COVID deal, you know, they said, especially when Trump went in, they said uh, there's not a whole lot they can do for the COVID virus, but they'll uh, they got things that they can, you know, it's it's symptomatic. Um, um, they, they'll they'll help heal his symptoms but they can't actually heal the virus you know they can't they can't do anything for the virus but they'll help with the the runny nose or the snore the sore throat or what you know they'll help with the the symptoms but there's nothing they can do for the actual issue like that that's modern medicine in a nutshell they'll help you with the symptoms but they don't care about what the actual problem is They'll help you with your heartburn, but they won't help you lose weight. They'll help you with your diabetes, but they won't help you manage your sugar. Um, you know, they'll give you an insulin shot, but they won't help teach you to manage your sugar. It's it's big pharma does for your body what the prison system does for your mind. They help you with the symptom. They'll lock you up so you can't go do it again, but they won't rehabilitate you so you don't think like that anymore in prison. But they'll They'll get rid of the symptom, but they won't actually help you fix yourself physically in the medical system. It's the same damn game. It's just what what system got you, you know. Um, it's it's quite sickening, really. It is, and even more so when you go into uh, a doctor's office or emergency room, which I have, and. 
know, I have a lot for a lot of reasons. I've never had any kind of pill addiction or pharmaceutical addiction myself. Okay. But I do know a lot of friends and I a lot of family members I've seen struggle and die from, you know, uh, pills, addictions and whatnot. Enough to know that I just don't want the shit around me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I struggle to take aspirin. I really do. And uh, it, I have to be in a very, very bad way to even pick up a bottle of ibuprofen. I just, even at that, people that take ibuprofen, they, they, I don't even think they know if you're on a daily regimen of ibuprofen. That shit will eat holes in your liver. No, no time for it. Well, that's a whole yeah. other subject. Huh? Yeah. You know, uh, so I try to keep that shit out of my life. And when I've gone into the doctors, and had, you know, like say internal problems or whatever, aches or pains. I that's it's usually an ache or pain. I usually will look at them and go, Hey man, I can take the fucking pain. I just want to know if there's a tendon ripped or if you know, if I keep going like this, am I gonna be hurting myself further down the road? That's it. That's all I want is <laughs> you know, you tell me if I'm gonna be okay or what the root of the problem is. I don't want pain pills. As soon as I say that, I I always feel like I get subcare after that. Like I'm just like, oh, he won't take the medicine. Well, go ahead, tough guy. Why are you even here? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Something they, to that effect. You know what I mean? Yeah, they just try to get you out the door as quick as they can, so they can get somebody in there that will take the, will spend the money, will do what they want. Um, with the with the pain stuff i've actually had great success going to the chiropractor for that sort of a deal simply because they are more willing to listen um and they're not such pill pushers but they can do x-rays they can look to see if you have crushed discs or bone spurs or anything that might be causing uh, musculoskeletal pain like they, they can actually do something about it and they're more willing to listen when it comes specifically to pain and, and inflammation and the loss of movement or things like that, which is all stuff I have problems with with my injury. Like that's the only thing that's helped, but it hasn't helped in a way that that I can afford every day. You know, that's how I ended up with cannabis because it, it allows me to stretch and and uh, it allows me to regain that movement where I wouldn't have been able to before, but I've, I've had better with chiropractors than I have with MDs for sure. Kind of I've heard that a lot as well. I've never been to one, but I've had my back walked on daily for a long time. A lot of times that's oh, all I need is that reset. Oof. Sometimes that resets even like a cup of coffee, man. I've been to the point where I've been like sleepy and there's something about getting the, you know, that spine straight, being able to get the signals properly all going up and down the body like they're supposed to. It's like, oh, okay, now I'm ready. When, yeah, it's been a while since I go to the chiropractor. And usually when it's been this long, they get me on the table, they pop me a couple times. I'll get a case of the giggles, man. I'll be, they really have to like stand back and like put their hands down because they have to give me a minute because I'm just, 
I'm giggling so hard they can't do the next one. Um, with with women in particular, they tend to store more trauma in their muscles than men uh, for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but I've had multiple chiropractors tell me that they've they've adjusted women before and for no apparent reason the women will bust out in like like gut-wrenching tears like they just start crying because when they unlock that particular set of of bones and rock that particular set of emotions the trauma that they had stored in that was finally able to release and that stuff is powerful just for that sort of a an experience it whether it's the giggles or the cries like sometimes that is more healing than the actual reset of the physical bones so um i don't i don't know what kind of what of issues you're going through but i i would definitely suggest at least trying it um because there's nothing like i i grew up with my mom my grandma popping my neck walking on my back doing the same sort of thing but there's nothing like somebody that's trained and knowing when you're like, they just walk right down your spine with their fingers and they can tell which one's out and which way it needs to go. There's nothing like being completely lined up for the first time in a long time. It's just, it's magic. And you come out of there oh, floating on a cloud. I was having a conversation yesterday at the campfire and uh, man, I popped my neck one way and that thing snapped about four times and I popped it back the other way and got it about another three. And nobody at the campfire said anything, but I know they were all like, cause a couple of them looked at me like, holy cow, I heard that all the way over here. <laughs> but man, it's yeah. Yeah, I definitely am cracking my back and my neck constantly. There's something yeah. that needs to be adjusted there for sure it was always fun when i was in class because i i'd get really tense on the drive up there it was, it was a little over a, an hour drive to get to class every day and, and i i have anxiety when it when it was associated with school so i i would tense up on the drive that's why i preferred to drive because then at least i'm thinking about traffic and thinking about speed limits and thinking about cops and thinking about all this other stuff except for school i only think about school when the, when the car stops so I didn't have an hour and some change to tense up. Um, and I would, I would get into class and even the five or 10 minutes from the car to the classroom, I, I had the same cohort the whole way through my, my last two years. So, you know, by the third or fourth quarter, everybody knows everybody. Um, it's the same, you know, dozen people in every class, whether you're in a a larger class with other cohorts of, from other degree programs, or it's just a class for your degree and whoever took it as an elective, like, you know, you know, all these people. And I'd get into one of those classes and I'd just go to pop my neck and it would go off like, like an AK, like just pop, 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 pop. And the first couple of times it happened, I watched head snap. Like they all looked like, are you okay? Like, did that, are you, are you breathing? <laughs> and then after like, you know, two or three quarters more, they just, they didn't even look anymore. They just pop, 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 pop. And then they'd be like, you feel better? And there'd be some smart ass across the room. I hope you feel better. It's like, yeah, I feel great. Thanks. <laughs> but those first you couple know, times, it, they all look at you like, oh my God. Maybe you can relate then if you, you can do it yourself. Like I do it like that is, 
you know, there's times where I can feel like uh, stresses in them necks, the, in, in points in the neck where it just feels like um, static, like uh, almost like static, almost like you're watching a TV with uh, the white screen, you know, the snow. <sighs> Like the transmission's just not being completed there. Yeah. And as soon as I cracked my neck, it's like, oh, it's gone. Everything, you know, that tension, that problem I'm feeling right there, it's gone. And it's not even like I want to do it. It's like I have to do it. Because I've been yelled at doing it. Stop doing that. It's like, I, you don't get it. I have to get it. I, it's the only way I can get it right. Sorry. Yeah, sometimes I'll pop my neck or adjust my like you just see me adjust like this. I'll adjust like this and it'll pop on this side. And uh I can feel it shoot down my arm to my my two fingers. Or sometimes I'll lay down and I'll twist my hips and I'll feel it shoot down to my foot. Like it's just an electric shock. Just the whole one signal the whole way down. Um and it'll give me the giggles because I have a really high pain tolerance and it doesn't scare me anymore, but I I still feel it, you know, and it's all the same places that were messed up when I had my initial injury. Uh, these same two fingers on the outside of both of my hands were numb. I couldn't feel them. Sometimes I'll, I'll pop my neck and I'll feel it shoot through my face. You know, I got, you got a trigeminal nerve in here. I know exactly what you're talking about. That one yeah. scares me. Yeah, what <laughs> scares me when that happens? No, I go crazy. every time I feel that what you just said, I go that one's that was a close one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I almost fucked up right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's that one to wake you up, man. Oh, you'd be like, was that good or was that bad? Uh, yeah, I know exactly. There's times where I've had that stick like that to where you know it's been stuck in that like that not so much mid click if you will like i got part of it but it's like stuck there and it's been like that for like a day and then finally yeah. when you can flip it back the other way it's like oh i always see when i get that and then it, i always oh thank thank you thank you i actually say it aloud thank yeah. you yeah oh yeah you can't can help it it comes it comes out before you can even stop it you're like oh thank oh thank god and you're like wait Oh yeah, sorry. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's a relief you can't even describe, really. And it's just it has to be done. I don't know what it is, but yeah. I'm glad you could relate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's times I just turned my head to see if I could turn. There's times I can't even I can't get the full range of motion. I'm like, oh I'm out. I'm I'm out. Oh, I'm afraid that's gonna be a thing someday, right there. It's just gonna be like all arthritis. It's gonna be like not even be able to turn it it'll all be like shoulder turns after that what i, what <laughs> I learned, so what i learned from the chiropractor because i waited probably four or five years before i went to the chiropractor after my accident um i already had bone spurs on my on the vertebrae of my neck and uh if you lose that loss if you have that loss of motion for so long those bone spurs will connect your vertebrae and that, that loss of motion will become permanent. But um, by going to the chiropractor and regaining that movement, you'll actually begin to reverse those bone spurs and you'll 
you'll decrease the tension on your discs. And it's not that your discs will completely repair, but they'll repair to a certain extent that they almost puff back up. So that's that's part of why I keep going back to the chiropractor because they'll do periodic uh, x-rays. It'll cost a little bit, it's like a hundred bucks. But um, you can see over a long enough time, you can see the bone spurs start to shrink and you can see the discs start to inflate again. So they're not just bullshitting you. Um, but it's, it's, it's about the range of motion. You need to keep the range of motion to keep those, those things lubricated and moving properly, or they'll, um, they'll eventually fuse together. That scared the shit out of me. I was like, I don't want fused bones in my neck. I'm, I'm not even a third of the way done living yet. Like what the hell you mean? I'm going to have you're going to be able to look this far this way and this far this way. Like that doesn't sit right with me. Like I need to look all the way over my shoulder, you know? So part of it is those, isn't it? I'm sorry, brother. I wasn't oh. mean to cut you off. I was just saying, I know exactly what you're feeling there though. Cause there are them days, man, where he does get stuck though, where you can't, like you said, you have limited motions looking one way or another, man. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. the same thing, man. Hope this isn't it right here. Hope this isn't the day. Hope this isn't the day. Yeah, man. It's, it's it's real, you know. It's it's just real. Um, but it's it's part of that self care thing, you know. I get a package of visits at the chiropractor for pretty cheap after that first visit, so. They'll give you a, a discount stretch of, constantly, constantly. Oh, every day. Stretch. And then sometimes when I get locked up up here, I find a couple of tennis balls and uh, a couple of tennis balls that don't let my dog chew on. And uh, you can roll them or you can put them on one side of your neck and then look that way. Sometimes I fall asleep on them. I don't even mean to. It just feels so good. I fall asleep on them. But it will relieve the tension of the muscle enough because sometimes the muscle tension will keep the bone where the bone doesn't want to be. But if you can relieve the muscle tension, it'll give you enough play that you can pop it back where it's supposed to be. And uh, you can kind of put yourself back together like that. I just use a couple of tennis balls. It works to about collarbone down your back. Any lower, any lower than that, and all you're really playing with is those two muscles that are on either side of your spine. You can't really affect anything else. But from the collarbone up, you can pretty much get everything. So I've found those to be lifesavers. And I bought one of those lower back things you can put under. It's made to like put against the, the back of your seat. I'm using it right now. Or to lay on to crack that lower back. And it does, it helps for that. But man, I don't know what the hell I was thinking the other day. I was like, hell, if I can lay on it, my back will feel good. Sleeping on it for a minute will be great. So I tried to sleep on that thing. I actually threw that thing in my bed and slept on it. Oh man, did I wake up in such a bad pain. It was oh, like dude. somebody had swung and hit me with a log in the lower back. I was thinking to myself, that was supposed to help. 
<laughs> I about did myself in. I couldn't stand up for about a day. Oh man, that was stupid. It 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 might have helped, but sometimes you got to work through the pain. But sometimes that pain is what comes after uh, after you get the tension to release. Sometimes there's that pain, and I know exactly what you're talking about. You instantly feel about 85, and you're like, I can't. I need a cane. I need a walker. I need somebody to hold me. Like I can't stand up. Um, don't let me go sit on the toilet because I won't be able to get back up. Like, I yeah, I I know that pain. I've been there. Definitely have uh, abused my body for sure. Play had played rough. Worked tough. Play hard and work hard is how I always describe it. Yeah, even if I wasn't any kind of donor, by the time I get to the end of this life, there ain't going to be nothing left for somebody else to use. But, you know, every time, every time I've been unfortunate to go under the knife, <coughs> I have a few times I've had shoulder rebuilt. If I had a bilateral hernia surgery that in both of both entry. In both injuries, I was told the same thing. Okay, we're just going to go in, wham, bam, you're going to be done. No. Both instances, they went in there and were like, holy shit, dude. We went in there and you completely destroyed your shoulder. There was no, no muscle left or tendons attached anywhere no ligaments to the shoulder no no everything was completely ripped loose same thing when i went in they went in, they told me when they went in for the hernia they're like okay there's gonna be a one inch incision on each side no problems whammy bammy you're gonna be in out no I woke up, there's a smiley face from hip to hip, man. They're like, oh, you were completely blown apart down there. How um, does somebody so young fuck themselves up so bad? But it's like every time I go in like that, I'm like, I don't know. Can you put me back together? They had pretty good luck so far on that end. I've been pretty well put to back together, but I can't count on that. I can't, I, I can't keep counting on that. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on that at all. Hang on, just a half a second. I just noticed my new batch of sauerkraut trying to blow blow his top. I'll be right back. No worries, man. <laughs> What's going on, Chad? Hope you guys enjoyed tonight's it's, episode. It's it's literally trying to blow its top here. It's actually so doing a. Really good job of it. You actually make your own sauerkraut, eh? I take it. Yeah, my uh, oh man, such good cultures for your gut, your gut and sauerkraut. See if I get wet here. Oh yeah, she's pretty full, ain't she? Yeah, I made this earlier today with the girlfriend. Um, she had some digestive issues shortly after we met that would leave her curled up in the fetal position on the floor pretty much after every time we ate. Um, 
and she went through she went to a naturopath and went through this whole um basically brat diet um restarting her whole digestive tract this was this was um when we were at community college bk it's red because we used red cabbage um well it's, it's really purple but you can't can't tell on cam i guess but we had to basically restart her whole digestive tract and um come to find out she was on some prebiotics and probiotics for a while the pills and through doing some learning we realized that we could make uh probiotics and prebiotics just as easy by making sauerkraut and um she's a fan of kombucha as well me too and we got yeah we got her off of the pills so this is a pretty regular thing for us actually um genetic yeah. memory farms was nice enough to come on and show me how i can start making my own I yeah, I watched I watched you guys the other night. I was in chat hanging out. Okay, I don't think I have a syringe. So nope, I'm not gonna drink that either. So we'll figure it out in a little bit now that it's not gonna blow its top. I'll just hang out for the show and Figure that out when it's over. <laughs> Cause I don't want to go spend five Who minutes. Drink that? No, nah, it's just cabbage Who water right now. Juice? It's just no, cabbage. It smells like cabbage. To it. No, no, it smells like straight cabbage. Um. Yeah. No. No thanks. But there is a. I like there's, sauerkraut straight out of the jar, just like that, when it's ready. There's a bag in here with water in it. Maybe I can pull it out. But it's to hold this the cabbage under the level of the liquid. There, not loose at all. Thank you. Thank you for explaining fucking just explaining to me I bought some fermenting lids the other day and they came with the fucking springs for them and I'm like I've been stymied for days on what, what these springs would be for but you just basically explained it to push the stuff down under the uh, keep it under the liquid there yeah it's only it's only safe from aerobic fermentation when it's under the level of the liquid. So like in this case now, um, you can see here at the top, this, this cabbage would be exposed. Um, so this top portion would probably aerobically ferment and you wouldn't be able to eat it. Which means for me to be comfortable to eat it, I would have to go down here 
So you basically lose like two servings of sauerkraut because I don't, I'm not going to eat the wrong bacteria. Not with my girlfriend being as fragile as she is. And I, I don't want to risk it, you know? So um, I can actually put the lid back on this. I don't have to smoke cabbage water the whole time. But um, yeah, it's, it's just to bring the level of the liquid up. So all I really have to do is take some of the liquid out of this bag and put it back in there. And it won't be so full that the level of the liquid hits the bottom of the airlock. And as long as it's not reaching the airlock, it won't get sucked into the airlock and I won't have the problem that I did when I first pulled it up over here. Yeah. So I'll just have to fix it a little bit. But that's why I was wondering if I had like a, I have a pipette somewhere, but I think I'd have to go dig in, in my herb stuff from school from one of the pipettes we got from school to, um, Shit, that's what I forgot to buy. I need to get, they have um, glass. So I've also got a batch of wine fermenting next to me, mead actually fermenting next to me. And uh, forgot to buy a, they have glass pipettes that you can put in the liquid, put your thumb on like a straw, pull it out. And it's used to fill a wine glass or something with a taster. I forgot to buy one. Um, so I'll have to do that. But I could have used that same sort of setup to pull the, the liquid out of the excess liquid out of that so that it wouldn't hit the airlock. That's all I got to really do. But I'll fix that in a little bit. It's okay. But yeah, down here I've got a batch of uh, blueberry, blackberry, melomel, which is just to say it's blueberry, blackberry, mead, but they call meads with fruit in them melomels. And um, there's a bunch of floating berries. And it's probably, I'm shooting for a five gallon batch. This is a seven gallon bucket. And there's probably 30 pounds, 35 pounds of blueberries and five to 10 pounds of blackberries in the bucket with five quarts of honey. And then I think I added three and a half gallons of water, three gallons of water, three gallons. I got my notes on my whiteboard. And that's about ready to get transferred into a, um, five gallon carboy in a day or two. I gotta test it, see where the fermentation's at. And I know I said earlier that I don't drink. I really don't. This batch of wine will last me. So it'll take me two years to get it into bottles. And then it should last another five to seven years after that, which there's five bottles in a gallon and there's five gallons, that's 25 bottles over five years, that's five bottles a year. 
and I happened to give away some at Christmas and Thanksgiving, you know, bring it to the party and open it kind of thing. So um, it's more of a party pleaser sort of thing than it is for me to sit at home and get drunk. Just to explain to anybody that might have nice. picked up the nuances and wants to pick on me, that's that's the scoop there. I, I make it for um, for sharing, essentially. No, that's a nice gift when you go to a Christmas party and shit like that. Just nice conversation piece as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, they're like, you made this, and yeah, you know, that uh, leads to a whole conversation, and you can talk to people that you otherwise wouldn't wouldn't talk to. So, I can appreciate it. I don't drink either. <laughs> I'm a non-drinker. I gave it up. I started early though. I started drinking before I started smoking. And I was like 12, doing shots of vodka. So, by the time I was 21, it was old news. Same thing. Same thing. I actually gave it up when I was uh, 23 when I gave up my first girl, which is now 25. So, I've drank 25 years. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't yeah, miss it. Was, I was done with it anyway, and it was uh, one of my ways I was help pay for that child, help pay for them diapers. You know, if I wasn't oh, out yeah. buying alcohol, I had plenty of money for diapers and bullshit. So that's the way it worked out. Diapers were never a problem. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was drinking pretty heavily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> That's a fair exchange too. I think you got more out of it this way. Trade and the, for the liver can regenerate, so any of that that damage is probably long gone by now. Maybe it's replaced from all your smoking, but I'm not the one to say that. Right. Well, does smoking fuck up your liver? The edibles might. But nothing I'd be worried I'm about. I'm trying to not to go too heavy, though. Well, yeah, since I, mean, I was access to them yesterday and had, had some yesterday, I would say probably in the last two days, yesterday and today, I probably hit 1,000 milligrams. I probably consumed right about five yesterday, and I've been taking them in pretty steadily today. <laughs> that's a good time, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm good for... Anywhere between about 100 and 150 milligrams is is a good time for me. Um, but that's not to say I wouldn't have another 150 a couple hours later. <laughs> well, for me, uh, the first day I get a nice little buzz off them. Not too crazy. Second day I get like today. I knew it would be like this. And there's no... A coincidence I chose today to trim. See, it because that's day two is that like almost like hangover but comfortable. You just kind of want to sit around and trim or do whatever. You're comfortable day two. Day three, if you can continue with the edibles, the aches and pains, the, the joint pains, knee pains, whatever pains are kind of gone by day three. And if I could just keep it in my system, if I'm lucky enough to keep it in my system like that, it's, 
you know, good days, but I don't keep enough of them around to get that, <laughs> to get that. Usually they, they come and go. I get a couple good days out of it. Yeah, I, I get scared on day two and a half, three, because I, I can easily overextend myself when I start feeling like He-Man, nothing hurts anymore. I can overdo it very easily. And then a week later, I'm, I'm still like, why did I do that? Because I've done myself up, so. Um, see that, I can see that. I try to treat it, you know, as a kind of a one and done thing. Um, like once, you know, one day, I, I try not to go past that because then I, I get that He-Man mentality that I'm still young, I can still, let me lift that boulder, I'll move your car, sure, you know, like. Lord help me. I, I hope I get over that someday. I don't, I don't I'm still there. I'm still there. I don't know if it's just the stubbornness or whatever, but yeah, and I will too. I'll pay for that shit days down the road when nobody's looking. Just be like, God, why'd I have to be that stupid? <laughs> why'd I have to be the one to step in there? You know, everybody, you know, everybody, uh, should be thinking more. Yeah, if I overdo it, I'm I'm back on my back for a minimum of three days. Um, my whole neck, shoulder, back, tingles, everything, all flares back up, and it's 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 not like I just re-injured myself, but it's you know four months past my initial injury when I still couldn't get up to make a sandwich part. Um, it's miserable, miserable. Last time I did it, I couldn't ship for a week. I mean miserable um it's it's so i try really hard not to overdo it any, anymore I, I know my limits and there's very few things in life that are worth it but um yeah absolutely miserable i wouldn't wish this kind of stuff on anybody you know um it's just it's life changing and there's there's no way about it you know there's i wouldn't wish this on any of my past worst enemies i try not to have enemies anymore but i'd wish yeah, a lot of things on them too, too but short for not good enemies oh yeah for sure you can't hold on to all that you know no way. Yeah, I don't even give them the power of that kind of shit anymore. You know, life's too short for bad energy. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I've noticed about you early on, too, is I was going to kind of say this, but I didn't know how to say it. Is, uh, you seem to be a great person that's put out, 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 put out. But unless uh, you've limited what you're doing and that it's filling your soul, you're going to get to a point where, you know, you can't know, you can only give so much. There's nothing left and you're not recharging it. Yeah. You're only damaging yourself in the end. Things can yeah. get to a, a point where it gets glum. You were, you know. I just hope that one of these days it starts to give back a little more. You know, I, I feel pretty blessed to have got through the degree and, 
and to get to where I'm at. And, um, to have, have done it with everything that life's put in front of me, but I, I can only hope that things turn around a little bit, you know, all this good karma starts to come back, I hope. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Seems like you're uh, overdue to, uh, from what I've heard, you know, you, seems like you've been asked to give at early on, early on in your life and you've taken it on without any problem within, with, with stride, uh, and not necessarily let it bring you down. And that's a, that's an amazing person in my book. I appreciate it. Because a lot of people who are selfishly, you know, put themselves ahead of others and not look back. It takes a, a real strong person to, uh, to make sure that people around them are have everything before you before you yourself have everything you need but i'm here to tell you brother you can only run on that for so long before it takes its toll on you you know yeah. what i mean and, yeah uh, um that was i had a couple people while i was in school because um herbalists tend to hear a lot of you know when you're doing those consultations they tend to hear a lot of the sad times and a lot of the troubles and a lot of the woes that people have have gone through to get to the point where they feel like they need an herbalist because you know usually by the time they find out about that it's super too late um not too late for the person but it's it's that they've already had trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma and to the point they don't believe in the medical system anymore they don't want to go to the doctor they they've lost faith they've they've been trampled on stomped on left in the mud they've you know and and you have to to listen to these individuals tell these stories and I, I realized that when they were breaking this down to me that I don't want to be that kind of an herbalist. I don't want to, I don't want to do the whole consultation thing. I don't want to, I don't have it in me to sit down with a person after person after person day after day and listen to their horrible, what they think is horrible situations not to discredit their situations, but from my perspective, it may not be that difficult because I've been through what I've been through. But for them, it's just they've been kicked down. They're in the mud. They don't have anywhere else to turn. They're on their last hope. They, you know, um, and to see the desperation in their eyes and to then feel the need to, to help them. Um, that's one thing I know I, I don't have in me. I, I can't do that. I've already done that for my life. Like I can't then turn around and do that for a paycheck. Like I, I'm not that dude, you know? Um, there are herbalists out there who've had better lives than me that still have that energy to give. And um, they're more than capable of helping those those individuals and it's just i'm not the one i came to the realization that i want to get into the the growing side of it and 
we I want to produce the high quality um, supplements, as we have to call them, for those other herbalists to be able to utilize when when helping individuals. And I want to get into the the growing of the herbs and the making of the preparations, and not necessarily the human side of it, where you align the preparations with the person there's there's this whole distribution chain of how this herbalism world works and i don't have the energy to get onto that the human side of it i need to be on the plant side of it and produce these botanicals for people to find and use on their own or for people to be guided to or recommended um that i i don't have you know, I had to admit to myself that I don't have it in me to do that. I don't, it would use me up and spit me out and I would be, I'd be done, you know, I, so you, you kind of have to know in, in any profession, I'm sure you kind of have to know your limits and your boundaries. Um, and that's, I, I just had to admit that to myself, you know, that I, I might be a great guy, you know, I might have done some good things, but I can't continue to to put out that level of energy and devotion and compassion all the time um, simply because somebody's paying me to, you know, I can't, it'll, it'll use me up, spit me out and I wouldn't, I'd be worthless, so. So this is what I have found when it comes to that kind of thing, because it kind of seems like we have a, a similar vibe, if you will. Um, when it comes to helping people like that and taking in that uh, hurt vibe, you're, you're exactly right. You can't do it for a dollar because it will make you empty. You have the the only way that it can be done. It, absorb that is through 100 percent uh love and you know passion for what you're doing that is the only way that it can be consumed because it has you can only energy is only it's only one way you it's only created and transferred so you have to be able to transfer the bad energy coming into something good and it's it's terrible and for people like ourselves that energy we take in the bad and we fire it into the passion of the project that we're doing it for usually and you're right that dollar amount it usually comes with nothing but guilt uh, right. you know what i mean i've never taken in that bad energy and taken a dollar for it felt good about it at any point it's always always caused uh, because it's been not the reason why I've been put there to put, to deal with it, I guess, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, so it, it doesn't make you rich, but it will make you humble, I guess. And, you know, happy about your existence. So I don't know. Some point, at some point you got to decide what you do it for. Is it the dollar or to be a great human or a better human being? Right, I almost said great, but a better human. Right, and uh, 
sometimes it can't be both. In fact, I don't think it can be both. No. Anymore, I've come to the realization it, it can't be both. No. No, I mean, everybody needs to have a place to rest their head at night, so we have to make enough money to make the world go around. But the bigger thing that I worry about is how I sleep that night, not where I sleep. So um, it's more about going to sleep every night with a, a clean conscience and a full heart than it is about a fat pocket and a big house, you know. Um, and some of it you got to trust in in the world and in karma and in the fact that that good energy that you put out, some of it's going to come back. That that your your positive intentions don't always go unnoticed. There are a lot of ungrateful people in this world, but there are a, more than enough grateful people that will pick up on positive intentions and gravitate towards those positive intentions. And those are the people that you want to associate with anyway. You don't. You don't, if you start doing it for the wrong way, you attract the wrong crowd, and then you're stuck in that cyclical world of wrong. You know, nothing feels good. Um, so you kind of just have to trust the system a little bit and and stay true, you know, and just wait your turn. That, that a lot of people have an issue with waiting their turn these days. It's not, always, it's not always, yeah, it's not always meant to be when when you want it to be it's meant to be when it's meant to be yeah. very wise words very wise words kind of think that's almost where i'm at in this project to be honest with you i think i'm in that weird dog i know i'm doing it for the right reasons but i'm in that phase right now where i'm kind of wondering still why or it's worth it <laughs> but i know it's worth it you know what i mean i just need to get through the awkward phase and get back yeah. to the trueness of it yeah <laughs> um, sometimes a little bit of self-reflection is, is good for that and um, a, a little time alone you know um with some good weed sometimes that's that's you know that that inner look in instead of look out sort of thing. Um, and kind of to to release. So sometimes you'll you'll build up tension over things like that, you know. And that that tension doesn't allow you to get doesn't allow you to have that breakthrough. You know, it doesn't allow you to to see the other side. Um, so sometimes releasing some of that tension somehow, however that is, a good hike, um, a day off, you know, or a random trip, or, you know, it's been such a weird time that I, I don't know what your release is. Mine is a good hike, usually. I go on a good hike and I come back clear-headed and ready to conquer the world again, where before I was completely frustrated and ready to throw the towel in. And, um, but we're all different, you know, so I can't really tell you what it is for you, but sometimes the release of that, that tension, that inner tension 
is is what it takes to really see the why and the how of the next few steps you got to take or where things are going you know to um you know be the river instead of be the banks you know you can't you can't force it to go the way you want to go sometimes you just got to flow with it but sometimes you got to get the tension out of the way to understand that you're the river and not the banks and you're just along for the ride you know um but you know that's, that's me there's definitely some reflection needing to be done there, man. There's been some crazy times as of late. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's like I said, you know, like my girlfriend was saying, it's a year of transformation. So where you started might not be where you finish. And you, you got to allow that to happen. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're fighting against the current to keep up with the river metaphor. You're swimming upstream. You know, it's actually kind of fucking crazy because I believe you're right. She's right. <laughs> Scarily. So, like you said, sometimes you hear shit and you go, I wish that shit isn't true, but sometimes it is true. Yeah, and, uh, sometimes it's more true than you wish it was. Right. And it's sometimes like, uh, I guess like yesterday, you see some people, you meet people, you know, people that go through similar transitions and, uh, make you feel like uh, it is more possible than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Easier than I thought it could be. Yeah, if you didn't fight it so much, you know. Sometimes that's the problem. But, you know, I I can't necessarily put myself in your shoes, so I can't really speak directly. I can only speak vaguely. Because, um, you know, I... I I don't have the whole story, so. Um, Nobody will. <laughs> Nobody will. Yeah, man, that's, that's part of the beauty of it, though. You know, is is you you see things from your perspective, and everybody has their own. That is sometimes the justification for why things happen the way they do, and it's not really somebody else's place to see your whole perspective. You know, it's. It's why they have their own. Um, Sometimes you get trapped in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you feel obligated or forced, um, which always is never the greatest feeling. You know, you want to do something because you want to do it, and not because you feel like you have to. It doesn't really matter what it is in life. But, you know, everything's got everything in a, in a rhyme and a, and a reason, you know. Um, nothing in this world happens for no reason. So it's 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 not even really always our um, our duty to understand the reason. It's just to understand that it happened for a reason. And, you know, some of that blind faith and that, like I said, that, that karma, you expect that, that karma to come back around eventually. You just got to have that blind faith sometimes and trust your gut. I've, I've noticed that in my whole my life too. It's never steered me wrong. I've thought a lot of horrible decisions, but when I listen to my gut, I've never been wrong. 
that's been the transition for me this year. I guess I at least I fucking take this thing off the camera on for a minute. Anyway, I gotta cut him around and fucking do shout outs anyway. Love off and all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh I believe this year has been a year for transformations in a lot of ways like that. And for me, uh in particularly uh learning how to let go and have uh give in to that blind faith has been uh one of my transformations, to be honest with you. Because uh I've, I've realized as of late, as as far as uh, manifestation and putting things to go, I, I realized that uh, me thinking I can control so much <laughs> is what's been fucking holding me back. I need to uh, let go and let myself uh, give into that blind faith, and I think uh, things would be incredibly better in the next year or two or whatever. Yeah. But uh, it's it's just letting go and that process of letting go and just believing and letting trying to let go of the controlling effort of my life uh, has been the tough part. But the more I let go, uh, the more I, I realize I'm on the right track. Yeah, and it's, that's, I used to have the same problem just going with it. I used to try to control every little every little thing and think that I knew better, you know, and this was the way it had to be. And if it wasn't that way, then it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And turns out I was the wrong one, not the way it was happening. So it's a rough one, man. It's, it really, that's, that's a hard one. That was, that was pretty hard for me, but a lot of that came through my injury. You know, I went from thinking, I was on top of the world to I'm going to be on disability for the rest of my life. You know, that's where my head went. I was depression. I mean, deep. Um, I watched all my, you know, dreams and wishes evaporate because I never thought I'd get off the floor again, let alone make a sandwich and eat it at the same time, you know. Um, even tougher for because I know I, again I can recognize your personality because it's a lot like mine. The, the similarities in the childhood are eerily similar. And when you're in that position where you're forced to help people your whole life and put yourself aside, uh, when you're in that injury and you've counted on yourself and nobody else throughout that whole thing. Uh, saying i need help or i can't is fucking crippling yeah because i couldn't do it because i know that like you said the injuries not having being able to move this arm at one point not be able to wipe my own ass not being able to do nothing there's times where i went through that injury i fucking taught myself everything with this left hand just because i thought the right one might not even be a possibility right and then them them times were fucking tough man it it definitely uh it's life-changing you know not letting people in saying you know i can do it i can do it is where that's where i've realized i've went wrong all these years is i should have come over my fucking big self or my attitude stop saying I can or I don't need help and 
let good-hearted people help me when I needed fucking help. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't until later in life I fucking realized that, again, with letting go, not trying to fucking feel like I had to control every aspect of my life. But, yeah. yeah. I noticed after, the, after I got through that, all of a sudden I knew how to say I love you and I knew how to say I'm sorry and I knew how to say I, I can't do that right now. Um, where a lot of that was just, you know, I had that that grandfather mentality where some of that was to be understood and some of that wasn't in my vocabulary. You know, you were to expect that you that we knew that I loved you when it wasn't that I told you. And now I swear I don't leave the room somebody I care about without telling them I love them. I, I could just be going to the bathroom. I could be going to make some food. I could. I don't know if I'm going to make it back. I might trip and fall down the stairs and snap my neck. But at least the last thing I said to you is I love you. Like, I didn't think like that before, you know. Um, you know, I think with the biggest thing I did, and looking back, out of all the good, like you say, I, I know I've done, I think the, the biggest thing that I, the worst thing I did, and I didn't realize it until late, uh, was... Uh, not realizing I should be teaching what I know. There were so many times where I was like, oh, I got this because I can do it better or it's gonna be faster. And uh, what I left was a lot of people, loved ones that uh, should have known how to do a lot of things that uh, don't, you know what I mean? Because I stepped in and was doing it all the time and it was just easier that way. When now right. I look back, I, I, all them instances when I oh I can do this, it's just going to be quicker and faster for me to do it. I should have been showing how to do it quicker and faster <laughs> than, you know. Right. right. Yeah, you, yeah you, you did it because it was easy in the moment, but crippled them in the long run because now they can't do it at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where this whole thing here too is coming into play too, is realizing, you know, knowledge has to be spread. It can't be fucking hoarded. <laughs> you know what I mean? We should be letting, be passing as much of it out as possible and letting them take off with the ideas and one up us, no matter at what cost. They're going to anyways, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're going to anyways, why not let, their, let them make our lives easier? on some of these improvements. Uh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, man. Well, brother, I think this would be a good point to uh, to end this so I can uh, do my trimming. It's been fucking amazing. What, almost five hours now have uh, blown by. Neither one of us has even got up to do anything, so it's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time and all your knowledge that you've dropped tonight. I've been uh, very honored to sit here and listen to it all. The Zoom numbers are always the same. I think you've caught that. If you want to jump on a panel, hang out, drop on some knowledge in any of the rabbit holes or a panel, you feel free to jump in, hang out. Uh, it would be uh, another honor just to have you hang out, man. I enjoy your company. You seem like a genuine dude. And uh, I can't thank you enough, man. 
I hope that you will take me up on the offer of coming back and hanging out sometime soon. Oh, you'll you'll see me frequently, man. This is just kind of my jam. So I'll be back. I'll be back. Appreciate Thanks it. for having me. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a blessing. Before you go, do you mind uh, throwing me in on that sound bite? I think you've caught that. I didn't think you you didn't think you was going to get out without that, nah, did you? Nah, we'll see if I can do it right. If I don't get it right the first time, I'll just redo it. I'm ready anytime you are, brother. All right, man. Uh, you guys are watching fucking Talking Shit with Eagle, episode 203 with Cascading Grown, man. It's been a pleasure. Perfect, man. Perfect first time. Well, man, this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, man, I, I'm looking forward to talking to you again. And I'm sure that uh, this has been an opportunity for everybody in chat to get to know uh, you on a much, much deeper level. And I think that counts, man. I, you know, it's it's so easy to see each other in chat and know each other on that level. But, man, it forms a deeper bond when you can actually sit there and, you know, hear what that person's about. I've seen a lot of, uh, as I've done this, 203 times I've seen uh, a lot of bonds be made after the show from people in chat and uh, you know hey I realize that cat's a lot like me and uh, you know I've seen a lot of that throughout these 203 days and I think a lot of people I've kind of I think you've won a lot of people over tonight so yeah, man, I, appreciate I, it. I, I can't thank you enough to come on, man. And uh, I know it's opened me up to a better a person that I didn't know that was on the other side of that, you know, name passing by there. So yeah. thanks for having me, man. It's been a pleasure. It's been a blessing, man. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, no. Hey, uh, pleasure's been all over here, brother. <laughs> I'll duck out of here, though, so you can get to your, your, uh, Smoke song. Shout outs, man. Shout outs, yeah. Last night it was 25. Last, I don't know what to do if I'm like slowing down or what. <laughs> last two nights it's been like 25 minutes, man. <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it like 15, 16 minutes, something about a week ago. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's getting there. Anyway, I'm not gonna cut that corner. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna duck out of here and I'll hang out and chat and listen to the shout outs, man. I appreciate it again. Thank and you, Ben. I'll talk to you again soon. I hope so, man. I hope so. Cascadian Grown, you guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. What an amazing guy. What an amazing guy. That's what I can have to say about tonight's episode. Greatly appreciate you popping in. I'm sorry I had to reschedule on you last night, but... Uh, I'm glad we didn't take the shorter route, to be honest with you. That was it. What the, what I offered you was we could go a short night or we could go a long one. And I'm so, so pleased you decided to come tonight and we could go the longer route. That's for sure. Got to get this little tongue or throat tickle out right But with that being said, it is time for the shout-outs, man. We're going to power through them right quick. 
so I can get back to trimming this uh, J1 behind me. Let me try to get some tunes in here. Probably thinking, man, dude, get some new music. I'm trying. I'm trying. Hmm. I guess we'll go a little like a blue glass, bluegrass rock and roll to get things started here. It is what it is, right? Seldom seen John Smith, Oak Park Gardens, Hell 7782, Shark uh, Skunk Packets, Marshall Artist 2012, Micro Stove Hefner. Why do I feel like I'm fucked that up? Uh, sorry. Either way, Robert, Mr. Greenfinger Thomas. David McDazzle, Medically Fit, Lemon Hojo, KGB. Start off tonight's list. What do we got here? Let's mix it up a little bit. We'll start from the back page. Secondly, Witchy Weekends with Amber Lilana, Chichi B. Madam T, Little Witch Tilly, Epifay. Lily Luna, the Stone Daddy Jacob, and of course, Twisted Roots, the Psychedelic Warlock, Artist LD, Sir Sticky, Rob, Big Day 420, Brett Wendell, Big Ed, Manawadi, G3, Green Click, J&K, Triple G, Mr. Sprinkly, Brittany Teasley, Hope Farms, Lisa G, John, Be Too Crazy For You, BGWG420 Budsville, Dr. Budsville, that is. Purple Thumb OG, Anturo, Sense Amelia, Misty's Dogs, Just a Face 420, Beast Cross Grower 420, Sir How, Trey Valone, Keep It Real, Danner 1620, Haggard for 10 420, Zeb Zeppelin, Audit Everywhere. B D Double D Grows Bingus Green Puffin Man Alex Boykachev Chef Life School of Crop Cause I Love It Green Mountain Grower School or uh, Southwest Oki Reels 100 212 Andy Man Miranda Family Farms Haggerton 420 Page Farms Me All Flower Ryan Henderson Light 1978 G13 New Sailbot Winds, Kingdom Aquaponics, Indra, New uh, Michigan Native, Mary Jane's Med Garden, Gardens, Dreamer 77 Double D, Bad Bunny Nutrients, Green Pot, Mr. Green Pots, Mr. Green Nugs from 619 to 664, Jones and Chikuro, Spaniard Kruger, Papa G Grows, Laz, Raz Amy, Grow, Grow, Sess, the Grow From Your Heart podcast, Lily Luna, the Green Med Flock, Jeremiah Miranda, Sony Creek Lost Art, Mr. No One, Jones and Grow, Smith Dude, LG420, Giant Mike, Prometheus Soil, Jason Eyestone, P. Wynn, David Colby, Weed is 207, you are not last tonight. Hmm. Dirt Road Dude, Kenneshiva, Jose Ramirez, Red Eye Rustler, 
Dab Goblin, Dr. Buzz Lightyear, Acetone, 710, Canuck, Can of Queen Genetics, Stabby, Tanazi, Pumador, Dirkman Dan, Keith of Black Sales, Mr. Bolsillus, Bolsillus, Zen Premium Gardens, uh, Rasta Bob, Rasta Jeff, that believe, I believe that does it for the EO crew there. Thursdays, nine ish. Spiky Pilots, Majestic Marks, Mystic Marks, that is. <laughs> Haven't fucked that one up for you in a while, buddy. Soiled Roots, Small Tubes, Tyler, Tyler Teasley, Nor Michigan Micro, Ouija Buds, Dub T Roy, Big Jar Rose, JC John, Modern Genetics, Last PPJ 15, SoCal Weed Nerd, Brittany, Lexi, and Courtney, my baby girls, Green Mountain Grower, CJ Apple. Jack Greenstock, 420, 420, Spartan Grown, Boom Farm, Smiley's Gardens, Charlie's Farm, 420, Aldridge, 25, JD's, Misty's Nugs, so nice, I always say it twice, Smoking Grove, Frazier, Grokoski, Twisted Roots, Weed Church, the Michigan Ganja Miscus, Do You Even Grow Bro, Frequency Fridays, all things Mr. Twisted Roots has his hands in. Faded Farmer 420, Jeff Jarowski, Genetic Memory Farms, Evolve 420, Cameron, Bagsy, Jill Carter, Mystic Marks again, Ginger Snaps, I Kill, DTDWE, Gross Day, Rick Wolf, DLP2372, Ned Denver, Sergeant Pepper 420, Cannon Trooper, Sequence 3, Blind Cat 420, Light Up Again, Tim, UKSIF 420, Buddha Boy, Devin Shipwreck, Medical MJ, Budsville, USA, Resurrection Prophet, Chris Mertz, Tara Wilson, Dinkman 420, Dinkman Dan. Pleasure hanging out with you yesterday, Dinkman, and your beautiful wife. Red Set of Farms, Good Life, Bill Sid, Joni Bell, Chicha B, Most Hated Grower, The Major General 420. The American one, W Digger 714, Sharate, Kenny O's Genetics, Mountain Skies, ready to hit that hot fire. Chris Mertz, even. Boca King, Raz, Pop Little, Slow Roll, Spiky Pilots, Matt Steelbread, Indo 11 and the Breeders Collective, Stephanie V, Shark Bully 989. Von Braun, Sovereign Gardens, Stoners Nation 420. Bugs one painted eleven painted lady sorry painted lady Frank Booth Fuel House Farms Jade Myers Jamid the Chat Mr Manny D Bag Seed Doctor D G C Jeff Shredder nine eleven Dutch Grows four twenty Scallywag four twenty Mrs C Involve four twenty Skillbow one. The Can of Kate, Med Grower One, Empire Breeding Co. Shout out to you, Empire Breeding Co. Hint, hint, looking forward to working with you sometime soon. Bergoli, Lost Leaf, Page Farms, Liam Mass, Dan, Danny Danko, Breeder Steve, Eight, Bear Seven, Allie Noble, CK, Tom Trinidad, Jamid, Looney Jester, Smoking in a Small Town, Tim S., Mr. Lazy. White, fe white feather grows, rafter grows, automation is freedom, Rob. Robert Hazelton, Dwarf, Michigan Quarry, Double Tap Farms, Big big Jar grows again, Bob grows, 
Mr. Green Thumb 420, 808 Rooting Prospects, the Cannon Bus Driver, Hating Life, Kenny 710, Operation Grove, T Bend, TM 42696, Root Nut 619, Dr. Scrambles, VB Moonrocks, GHF Double J, Stealth Grower 56, Bio Green, Tanky Sanky 420, OG, KP, Georgia Grows, Ganja Nana Yo Mama, Roy Rodriguez, Jim Seagulls, Nature's Best Nugs, GR420 Community Video. Shout out to you guys, man. Really like to see them guys explode and what they doing over here. The Lone Stoner Bee Growing Killer Bee Grows. Roy Rodriguez, Ganja Wizard, Husky Gardens Nut Tree, 420, Dr. Ooh, Soil Life, 420, Bully Life, Jeff Row 420, Dr. Franklin Booty, Viva 698, Goddamn, I'm Big Thrift and Fat Boy, Ted Nugent Test, Shadow Warrior, Green, Valley Green 514, Mila Jensen, Oz Indica, Dr. MJ Coco, Brandon Rust, Matthew Gates, D's Bags, Drone Star, Shotgun Willie, Dank Yoda, Jay Simmons, Sure Bro Grows, Calacamus Coat, DJ Conley, Mish Grown, Buds Farm, Aaron the Grower, Yo Boy, Road Boy, Delta 9, Joy McDaniels, Clackamas 420, Stinky Colas, Dylan Steinford, PFC Farms, Crusty Socks 1975, Mr. Hanky, Sun Grown 707C8, J420, Joey Y, Cascadian Grown, thank you for holding it down tonight with the amazing episode. Morning, T2B. Nice to see you. Amazing. Tito's McGee, Four Plants A, Weed Works, Cascadian Grown again. Captain Scrog, Skunk E Buds, Hans Warrior, Jackie Young, Tara Lee Live, Magaster, Tempe, Annie N, Dank Brownies, T Urge, Green Junior, Leon, All Purpose from All Purpose Plus, Green Goose. 11 Smiles 11, Bindu Buds, Micro Rasta Rose, D's House of Dank, Mama Law 710, Scarecrow 420, Joy Y one more time, Green Bum Bum, Green Bum Bum, I'm sorry, uh, Christina MG89, Unplugged 705, Medically McCulley, Rick T, The Rebel, the 9G207, Fabian Salinas, Dave's not here, Tom Spoot, Greg Walker, Mendo Dope T, Dog, Dung Beetle, Red Eye Jedi Grows, Mother Nature, Justin Conway, Jabriz Aldi, sorry Jabriz Aldi if I'm fucking continuously fucking it up but I do have respect for you my friend Run Boy 7426 Justin Goodearth Strongman Oki Grower 75 Trevor Corey Trevor rather Michael Wallace Mole Vision 420 Craig Walker Who's your daddy Taco Dan Slug or Don Slug Rick S in the bushes, eight two seven. James Simmons. Ah uh, man, I wish I wrote that one down better. Bobby Yin Means. Hopefully, I wrote that down. Kevin Hahn, the world's last hope. Pete's fan four twenty. 
Biomunter. It's tonight's last name. Thank you guys for tuning in tonight. I had to mix it up a little bit. Yeah. All right. We did 207, last but not least. Had to throw it in. Had to throw it in there, like world's last. Or we just 207. God, it must be high or tongue tied. Sorry, we just 207. So, with that being said, I hope you guys have enjoyed tonight's episode. Hopefully, it capped off a great weekend for you guys. This is the end of your journey. Please get some rest. This is the beginning of your day. Please go out there and kick some ass. Make it a prosperous day. The beginning to an amazing week. Please do something nice for somebody. Random acts of kindness do save lives. They change lives. Hopefully, if we do enough of them, one by one, we can change the world. Make it a better place to be. Make it a better place to exist. Thank you, guys. I can't thank you enough for you guys that are so loyal and just tune in night after night. It means a lot, not just to me, but to the people you meet in this community. And uh, I can't say enough nice things about you guys. Good night. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. I love you guys. I'll see you tonight, Monday night. This Monday will be on schedule just because I do have a guest pre-lined up, I guess, this week and next week, unfortunately, will be on schedule. But as of the 26th, I will be moving my schedule around the Bros Grow Show there, the late sesh, to make things smoother for content. But tonight, PSD for TAT for PSTD. Hopefully, we'll honor my invitation and be here tonight. Please check that out. You guys have a great day. Good night. I love you. I'm out.